Welcome to the Create Something Awesome Today podcast, where it's all about educating and motivating creative pros and entrepreneurs from around the world with simple and easy to implement ideas. And of course, helping you create something awesome today. And now, welcome your host. He is the founder of Founder of Awesome Creator Academy, a YouTube educator, and the biggest Star Wars nerd you'll ever meet, Roberto Blake. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Create Something Awesome Today podcast. This is your host, Roberto Blake, helping you create something awesome today. Welcome back. So once again, we are doing a late night edition of the podcast. We are less than maybe about 24, 25 hours away from 2022 in today's episode. And so I thought it'd be great to actually set up some predictions for 2022. And then we can always come back to this and we can see if I'm right. And the fun thing about this is we can go ahead and we can let some of you here in the audience chime in with your predictions. So if you want to drop those either in the comment section, if you're watching the replay of this, or you are in the live streaming audience while we're going live tonight, then you can just drop your predictions. Maybe I'll read some of them here out loud, but really interested to hear what you guys think about 2020 and what we can look forward to on these social media platforms, what will be new in the creator economy, and also what do you think will happen in 2022 in the world of social media? Because I think we have a lot we can look forward to here. I mean, you have the metaverse coming up, and I'm actually really excited about this. My friend Viper, uh, who some of you know, and that's a Viper with three Ys. Uh, he actually talked me into getting an Oculus headset. So I have the latest Oculus headset. And so is my friend Nick Nimmin, my friend Mitch Jackson, streaming lawyer. So like uh, uh, me and my friends are apparently going to be doing this metaverse thing in 2022. I think there's a lot of uh, potential and opportunity there. I'm actually looking forward to even possibly becoming a metaverse creator. I think there's like a small fortune to be made in uh, being an early adopter to the metaverse, especially if you can go there, not only as a content creator, but as someone who like creates consumable digital assets for people who are existing in virtual spaces. This is something we saw with um, a website called Second Life a long time ago, but it's also not anything new to any of you who are gamers. I mean, back in the world of Warcraft days, back in my day, uh, back in the early days of World of Warcraft, I remember that even literally just being a crafter as a player and just being able to make rare items was, for some people, a full-time paying job. I kid you not. And you have a lot of people, like we covered in our episode about NFTs, Web 3.0, and Bitcoin. We actually talked a lot about the fact that um, if you're a gamer, you are already familiar with the idea of digital currencies, digital assets, and digital experiences actually having a real world, you know, monetary cash value. And so for me, a lot of this stuff is not necessarily new, new. It's not the new, new. It's just taking on a 
new form and you have a lot of um, people that'll be part of it for the first time, you'll have a lot of normies, uh, as I like to jokingly call them affectionately. You have a lot of normies who will be getting into a lot of these different digital spaces and things for the first time, and it's going to be a shock to them. I mean, how many people didn't think YouTube was a valid or legitimate career. I don't like to think of YouTube as a job. Some people say, oh yeah, YouTube's a real job. I say it's a real career. Um, I think the word job speaks to a certain limited like type of scope of what your experience is as a working person. Because with something like YouTube or streaming, let's say, right? I could call it a career choice the reason I don't necessarily want to refer to it as a job has nothing to do with the fact it's real work because it's real work. The thing that I don't want to, the reason I want to call it a job is because when you are at a job, you have a limited amount of control over things like your time, your energy, the process. I look at these as more of a career and I look at it more of like entrepreneurship because I think it's entrepreneurial. And I think that the control is what's really exciting about being part of the creator economy, the freedom, the control, the freedom. So yeah. Um, in live, we have Adrian um, who is saying uh, he thinks that the metaverse is gonna be a game changer and he can't wait to get in on it. Yeah, actually, I agree with that take, Adrian. Um, I can't wait to get in on this either. I think it's going to be very significant. Sean asks, uh, is YouTube even a job? It's a platform. We can never say a newspaper is a job or TV is a job. Uh, you can kind of say, yeah, actually, you can. If you are saying YouTube is a career, you could say that being a journalist or being a writer or being a writer for a publication is a career. You could say being in broadcast is a career. So, yeah, you could say YouTube is is a job you would say being a content creator is a job like well i would say again i'd say career rather than i'd say job being a content creator on youtube or twitch or tiktok can be a career you're earning money you're being taxed on it you're being taxed on it as ordinary income in most cases with a royalties classification in most cases so that's the only difference is it's not counting your income as wages it's counting it as earned income from a business venture. So in that regard, you can say it's a career. You can say it's a career because you can say it's legitimate and you can say it's a legitimate form of employment, which is the slang. People call it, say job. When people say job, it's a slang term for what do you do for a living? So in that, in that way, let's just be very real. Job isn't even a formal word. It's a slang term that we use for employment or earning a living, okay? So it's a slang term. Job's not even a real term, it's slang. So if we're going with a way to make a living as what it stands for, then sure, you can call Twitch, YouTube, TikTok, content creation, Instagram. You can call those things careers or jobs if you want to because it's taxed as ordinary income. It's taxable income. So if it's taxable income, legal taxable income, it's legitimate. And the same thing with being a writer, the same thing with uh, being an artist. If you were selling your art 
and making money from that. Or if you have royalties from performances you've done or your music career, if you're getting paid, it's legit. Simple as that. The IRS thinks so. So, I mean, if the if it's good enough for the IRS, it's good enough for anybody else, right? So that's that's kind of my thought. North Hill with a $10 super chat. Thank you for the first super chat of the evening here on the live edition of the podcast. So, yeah. So, like, for me, it comes down to, and here's a prediction around 2022. I think 2022, this one's an obvious prediction. I think, like, we'll get one step closer to um, legitimizing the creator economy. That's one of my big uh, takes is I think we'll be one step closer. Um, and that'll take a lot of different forms. For one thing, I think the statistics around digital versus broadcast television, I mean, we've already crushed it in terms of um, print and radio. The numbers are not even close when it comes to these platforms. So they will creep up closer and closer into beating more and more television in terms of global watch time, advertiser adoption, so on and so forth. So that's that's kind of one of my thoughts around that. Uh, Sean says, right, sorry, point was that the content content creators is a career. No, I agree. We agree. We're on the same page. I think the focus on YouTube does not accurately reflect what people do. I agree with that uh, a thousand percent, which is why I try to you know, use the terms uh, content creator and creator economy much more. I use YouTuber because, again, another slang term for like what people are making a priority. I think that less people should be focused on the identity of being a YouTuber or a TikToker or an Instagrammer or a Twitch uh, streamer and instead of worried about the identity play there, uh, which a lot of people do that really largely just because we're talking about the place that they want to fit in. When we say that, when we say that, it's largely because those are the places where people want to fit in. These are the platforms and places where people want to be successful. People want to be known for YouTube, so they go with YouTuber, right? Uh, people want to be known on Twitch, so they say Twitch streamer or streamer, and those are the slang terms that they're using. But really, those are just offshoots of being a content creator at the end of the day. So I agree with you. So for me, I think that all of that just comes down to being part of the creator economy. And I think that content creators are probably going to have some of the best overall careers um, that we see going forward 2022 and beyond. And I don't think that's like an absurd prediction to make it. And he's like, that's not even like a hard prediction to make. So I think that that's, um, you know, so I think that's going in the right direction. Kiddo Twin says, I like content creator. Yep. No, I like that one too. Yep. So here is a prediction. Here is a prediction. I'm going to predict right here and now, you can hold me to this. I predict that before the end of 2022, YouTube will introduce another form of monetization for creators. And I'm not talking about super thanks, which they um, started rolling out last year. I haven't uh, gotten it yet myself for some reason. I'm going to keep asking them about that. But I believe that on top of that, that they'll introduce or beta some new form of monetization, some other way to earn from YouTube. I, I really believe that. It's possible that it'll be linked to e-commerce in some way. It's possible. I don't know whether it will be e-commerce specifically, but 
you know, I think it'll be something that is significant and something that is applicable to more creators. Cause I think they're trying to create more ways for creators to earn outside of ad revenue. So yeah, so that's the thing that for me makes the most sense. I think that they'll create some new form of monetization on YouTube that does not rely on advertiser revenue. And I think that that'll be introduced before the end of 2022. It's most likely it's most likely going to be the case. Uh, now, something else that I'm predicting here. I don't know how you guys feel about this one. I'm predicting, this is another YouTube prediction. <laughs> oh God, this one's negative. Um, I'm predicting there'll be some massive new YouTube controversy in the first half of 2022. I have no idea what it'll be this time. I don't know if it'll be another adpocalypse, which for those of you unfamiliar is when there's a massive controversy that results in an advertiser boycott from YouTube. I don't, I don't know if it'll be that specifically. I don't know if it'll specifically be that, but I'm predicting there'll be some massive controversy. It could be another adpocalypse situation. It could be another drama get in situation where you have a massive controversy that revolves multiple large content creators with millions of uh, subscribers apiece, or it will be that YouTube makes a controversy policy decision that the biggest creators decide to publicly rebel against similar to what they did with the, uh, the removal of the public dislike counter before that, I believe it was the abbreviation of uh, live subscriber counts. And then before that, I think it was the government's fault. I think it was COPPA before that. So yeah, it'll be some before the before the end of the first half of 2022. I'm predicting a massive YouTube controversy. We can literally make a bingo card around my predictions and see what uh, which ones we get. Right? We can make bingo cards around these predictions. I actually might hire a graphic designer to make uh, bingo cards. So so that's something that we'll we'll probably be seeing in the first half of 2022. And so that that's some of the YouTube predictions. Let's move to some other social media predictions. Easy one. Other platforms will uh, mirror YouTube's monetization. I predict that Instagram will literally just take YouTube's uh, creator monetization program with regard to ads and basically just steal it. <laughs> I think Instagram 
will basically uh, just copy YouTube's monetization when it comes to like IGTV and stuff like that. I don't even know if they're going to keep calling it IGTV and just like not differentiate IGTV from Instagram video post and then just extend that. So I believe that um, they'll basically take the 55, 45 um, monetization split model on that with regard to ads. I don't know if the ad rates will end up being as comparable to YouTube, but it'll probably be pretty close, honestly, because it's Instagram and Facebook, right? So I believe that, and I predict that Instagram before the end of 2022 will publicly announce a 55-45 creator split with regard to ads. And I also think that they will, they'll leave Instagram reels in play. I think stories might end up just being reels, honestly, at this point, because I mean, what's the, the difference isn't that much anymore, right? Aside from the reach that they're giving them algorithmically. I mean, at this point, why is Instagram stories, not just Instagram reels? At this point, what's the difference? Both of them are 60 seconds now. You can use music and both of them. What's the, what's the point in making and what's the point in having any difference between them now? So I think there's that possibility that they'll just like say Instagram stories or reels now or post your reels to Instagram stories, something like that. Uh, there'll probably be some consolidation there. I think they should just consolidate um, IG video with IGTV and call it a day. And it just be regular video posts that are not reels and just go ahead and give it a longer time limit. Just give it, just let everybody post up to 30 minute videos on Instagram. Let people who want to spend more time on Instagram with an experience have it. I mean, that's what I think. So less of a prediction there on that part and more of a, Hey, this is what they should do. So I think that for sure. Hmm. Predictions around Facebook. Also, if you are in the live chat or in the comment section, give me your predictions. Give me your predictions. Um, predictions around Facebook. Facebook will probably just receive more backlash and controversy and they'll be dragged into Congress again. <laughs> That's my prediction for 2022 for Facebook. My prediction for um, Facebook 2022 is more people dunking on Mark Zuckerberg and them going into Congress over something else this time. Um, people find something else to get mad about. But here's something. I do think that their uh, Facebook... AR glasses, I think that those, I think that if they release an updated version of those or they like make some more interesting features around that, that that could be successful in 2022, 2023. <clears throat> Roberto, can you please explain what's happening with Spotify and videos? Um, I can't really talk about it right now, but I will predict this. I can't really confirm or deny or talk about it, but here's my prediction, because I've been predicting this for years and years and years. Spotify is the only company that can truly, truly, truly compete with YouTube. It's a long-term game for sure, but they're the only ones who can compete with YouTube. Yeah, I said it. Spotify as it is, is the most, the streaming service with the most paid subscriptions right now is Spotify. 
Spotify is the streaming service with the most paid subscriptions. And that's without them truly even competing on video right now. Worldwide. Worldwide, they have the largest paid user base out of any streaming service. That's without them offering video and without them needing the licensed content from the major intellectual property holders. And they already have the relationships with the music industry, which means that they might even be able to do better on copyright than TikTok and YouTube because they have more established relationships with the music industry than both TikTok and YouTube. And TikTok has been doing really good on that with regard to letting people make short content and use popular music. So over a long period of time, Spotify is the only ones who can compete with YouTube. Period. So there. <laughs> like that's, yeah. So there you go. That's the T. I've been saying it for years. I've been saying it for over two years. If you follow me on Twitter, I've been saying for like two or three years that Spotify is pretty much the only company that can create compete with YouTube. YouTube hasn't had competitors for a reason. And that's usually because it's a good way to lose money. It's like, oh, you want to tell me how to lose money? You want to tell me how to go bankrupt? Say that you're building a YouTube competitor. I dare you. Do you realize that in my entire career, there have been over 20 companies that have told me they're the next YouTube, want me to put my name on it, want me to be an investor, want to give me equity, want me to promote it, better want me to do this, want me to do that. And I said, you're going to fail. And I'm not going to be tied to your failure. And it's like, and that sounds harsh to tell startup people that, but like, um, yeah, I can, I'm, I'm really good. I have really good instincts. There's a reason for it. There's a reason for it. Um, let's look at the graveyard of YouTube's so-called competition. Remember VidMe? They wanted to be a free speech version of YouTube. How did that go? They got people all gassed up. And what happened to them? Went out of business due to lack of funding. Gee, I wonder why. Vessel. Vessel came over, was offering the biggest creators a bag. A lot of creators started saying, hey, you can get my content earlier on Vessel. Audiences were like, nah, we'd rather watch it on YouTube. Vessel went under. Huh. In terms of like a video platform that wanted to do its own thing, Quibi. But I'm the Quibi. They went under. And so, yeah, like if you, if you really, if you really want to compete with YouTube, there's a couple of things. First of all, these, these things were all starting up without any name recognition. Spotify is already a household name and has been for over a decade, just like YouTube. Spotify has been around almost as long as YouTube and it is known. The other factor is a lot of people discount that YouTube blew up originally not because of homegrown content creators but because it was the place to watch premiere music videos well who else has dominance when it comes to the music industry spotify okay then in terms of early mobile app adoption when mobile apps started becoming a thing youtube was prior to the mobile app revolution it was prior to even the iphone so Spotify came along at exactly the right time to kind of position itself as a mobile first experience and get it right. YouTube was one of the first companies to get mobile first right as well. And that's 80% of traffic on YouTube is on mobile devices right now. It's on people's phones. Spotify has phone market share and phone dominance. 
So it has a way to compete with YouTube in a way that a startup company absolutely cannot. Another thing is Spotify already has the advertiser relationships, the music industry relationships, and it has the money and resources to actually offer legitimate talent exclusivity in terms of programming. It has the ability to fund original programming and has an advertising budget on top of the name recognition. Who's going to do that if they're not? If, who, how, how can a startup even think about competing with YouTube? It's not even close, but Spotify can do it. Spotify is known to creators. Spotify has monetization systems already in place between subscription model, the royalties from music already, and it's not even close. So it has a better trajectory in terms of its uh, earning uh, capacity, its name recognition, its proprietary technology, its ability to get massive, massive creators on board with it. Um, and they're not in any danger of a lack of funding or money drying up. Like they generated in 2021, uh, they generated, I think, um, like 3 billion or something like that or more. No, more than that. Jeez. Um, hang on. I'm about to pull this up. I'm about to pull it. I'll pull up the data. I'll pull up the data. Um, Let's see. In the third quarter alone, they generated 2.5 billion euros. So that means if that's the case, then what'd they do for the year? Well, I mean, if you're generating like 3 billion in a quarter, you're doing like what, 10 billion a year or something? Like they're doing like 10 billion a year. They're 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 like they, I think they have the the. I think they have the resources, and I'll tell you why. I think that they have the budget because they make more in a quarter than YouTube did. Like they make more in a quarter than YouTube was acquired for by Google when YouTube was acquired in two thousand six. When YouTube was acquired in two thousand six, it was acquired for like one point six billion dollars. Then they were sued into oblivion in two thousand seven for about the same amount and spent seven years in litigation. Um, so that's fun. But YouTube as a company makes about thirty billion a year. Spotify makes ten billion a year. But YouTube didn't always make thirty billion a year. So that means that if you look at where YouTube was as a video, like company, then, you know, it's not even like, it's not even an argument that they have the capacity to do it. And I do understand they're carrying massive debt. YouTube would have been carrying massive debt if it wasn't subsidized by Google. If you don't count what Google subsidizes with regard to YouTube, YouTube might not even be profitable, to be honest with you, which has been my argument as to why you don't get a real YouTube competitor is that uh, YouTube still is barely profitable. It's only profitable because you can count what Google subsidizes and eats in-house cost. The in-house cost that Google eats is what makes YouTube profitable. But even without necessarily having to be truly, truly profitable, if YouTube were spun off as a company, it'd be worth a trillion dollars. So you can do with that what you will. My point is that Spotify can start the process of coming for YouTube, it won't be a one-to-one, -one, okay, it's an even fair fight. I'm saying that from what they are able to do for creators, what they're able to do for creators, 
it will actually be a legitimate place for creators to post content much in the same way as YouTube and make money and have reach and have an audience and no startup company that wants to compete with YouTube can offer creators what Spotify can. I thought Facebook might be able to get creators right. They might still do it in the future, especially with the metaverse stuff. Um, they have the money. Facebook has the money to get creators right. I don't think they have the culture and the creative leadership to get um you know, the creator economy, right. And because if they did, all Facebook would have to do to win with creators, all Facebook would have to do to win with creators right now, because the problem is it's too hard to monetize on Facebook. All Facebook would have to do to win with creators is lower their monetization requirements to what YouTube's used to be. And just like lower the bar to get monetized on Facebook. And then people would be posting content to Facebook. Some people wouldn't even bother trying to monetize on YouTube. It's one of the smartest things Twitch had going for it. Twitch is what Twitch has going for it. What Twitch has going for it is it's much easier to at least get monetized and start earning something on Twitch than it is on YouTube. To get monetized on Twitch... You need a very small following and to just be consistent and grind and just be active as a live streamer. That's it. It don't it will not even take you a couple of months to get monetized on Twitch. You can do it like under the right circumstances. You can get monetized in Twitch in like a month. You can get monetized in Twitch in like a month. So um, that's the key here. That's the key here. So I feel like I feel that Spotify can definitely make some waves when it comes to courting creators. And I think they already have. If you look at things like the Joe Rogan Spotify deal, if you look at uh, what happened with um, Alexandra Cooper with uh, Call Her Daddy and that podcast. Um, I think if you look at that, there's like uh, there's a legitimate there's a legitimate play there for Spotify, to be honest with you. So I really, I genuinely believe in that. I genuinely believe in that. The other thing is, um, this one's not a prediction as much as a news announcement is that YouTube will basically be coming for Twitch next year <laughs> for sure. Uh, and that's because they're adopting much of the features that makes Twitch unique. Those features will not be unique to Twitch really anymore. There'll be features that are available to YouTube content creators as well. So even just looking at that, you know, you're getting to a place to where the platforms are becoming much more ruthless and competing with each other in terms of um, adopting features. I mean, everybody basically copied uh, what TikTok has going on, but TikTok is still ahead of the game. But yeah, they're going to overhaul streaming next year on YouTube without a doubt. Uh, they're going to be offering more than um, they're going to offer uh, gifted um, channel memberships, which is basically the same as Twitch's gifted subs in terms of paid subs. And that's going to be game changing for a lot of content creators. It's going to be big. Again, like I said, um, I think YouTube can still introduce another form of monetization even on top of that. So there you go with that one. Um, TikTok is probably going to expand 
even more when it comes to long form content and live streaming. I could foresee TikTok even potentially lowering the barrier to entry to do live streaming on their platform for them to be even more competitive. YouTube's already done that. Not a 2022 prediction. Maybe in a couple more years, maybe even by 2025, I can see YouTube lowering the thresholds for creator monetization instead of 1,000 subscribers and 4,000 hours of watch time. I can see them lowering it in the next couple of years. And the reason I can see them lowering it in the next couple of years goes back to my earlier prediction. I genuinely believe that more companies will step up and monetize creators. We're already seeing it. That's a big prediction for the next couple of years, 2022 and beyond, is more companies are going to want to monetize creators. They're going to want to get in on the creator economy. They're seeing the value of creators big time, especially during the pandemic. And so if more platforms are offering creators monetization options for YouTube to be the best game in town, they can't just pay the most. They have to be accessible. They have to be accessible to more people. And to do that, they're going to have to lower those, those uh, qualifications. They're going to need to do that. And I think they're going to want to do that. I think that the what they did to appease advertisers in 2007, 2008, with changing the uh, requirements and not letting everybody just waltz right into the monetization program unqualified, I think that a lot of the backlash that for that with the advertisers has worn off over the last five years. I think advertisers are at least a little bit happier with the platform these days. I think that they can you know, work some concessions out and that they can get the monetization requirements lower. The signs that I've seen that let me believe this are when you look at uh, what's been happening with them lowering the threshold for how many subscribers you need to access mobile live streaming all the way from a thousand to lowering it down to 50. That's a sign to me. So that right there, and they did that for safety reasons. Um, with them taking away the public dislike counter, with them lowering the bar from you needing a thousand subscribers for the community tab down to 500, that seems to me that they might. And this is a, this is a might, and I don't think it'll be in 2000. I don't think it'll be in 2022. It might be much later down the road, but. I think that they're going to lower the barrier to entry when it comes to the partner program. I mean, as it is, you don't have to meet those requirements to be part of the YouTube creator fund when it comes to YouTube shorts, which to me is another sign of the times. It's another sign of the times. I mean, that said, anyone who wants to get monetized on YouTube, my main YouTube channel, I gave you a complete guide to getting monetized at this point. So that's something that I think I think that a lot of people struggle with it because the, I think it's more the 4,000 hours of watch time is the struggle, but I broke that down to a formula. I broke it down to a science to get the 4,000 hours in 12 months because I, I think that the big problem is people were just posting and hoping. You're, you're kind of a spray and pray strategy. They're just hoping and praying. And so that like 
that's something that I think people just weren't being intentional about. And so by me giving you, here are the numbers you need to hit scientifically to make this work. I think that that gives people like a realistic way to achieve the goal. Yeah. You know, Cause like, then they can, they can measure it. Cause then they can measure it. Um, so yeah, so that thing, I think that um, those are things we could expect. Adrian says, I've got the watch hours. I'm currently working on the subscriber threshold now. Uh, my my um, math on the, the subscriber threshold has always been, if you can target getting 100,000 views, 1% rule. 1% rule means that out of 100,000 views, 1% of those will convert to subscribers. And so with uh, that 1%, you'll end up with 1,000 subscribers. Um, and also the threshold for, I think, turning a viewer into subscriber is if you can pull over 35% retention ratios on your videos, you have a much better chance of converting people who watch them to subscribers. So yeah, those are just some things you can think about. Again, I've made dedicated videos about this. And so if you want to go watch those, that could actually probably really help you out if you're trying to get monetized on YouTube. <clears throat> so we we basically made predictions about most of the platforms. Um, hmm, what's another prediction? Uh, Twitch is going to have to do something. I don't know that they will, but Twitch is going to have to do something to stay competitive and relevant. Um, I think that it's going to be really rough for them because the, the thing that's in their favor is how easy it is to get monetized on Twitch compared to the other platforms. That's really the only thing going for them right now that, and there's great community in Twitch because that's the, that's the Twitch creators though, that create the community. Cause when Ludwig, um, you know, was shopping around for a deal and say, Hey, uh, I got to pick where I'm going to be streaming. And he pulled like, you know, a really smart negotiation tactic. He told, uh, Twitch that, Hey, uh, if you guys aren't going to fight for me, I'm going with YouTube. And he told YouTube the same thing and YouTube fought for him. And like, you know, they came with the bag and Twitch, Twitch's answer was, Hey, best of luck. And they cut him out of the, uh, basically the Twitch recap for, uh, 2021, even though he was literally one of the biggest streamers on Twitch out of spite, they, uh, they cut him out um of the 2021 recap even though he was a big part of twitch just because he switched to youtube in the last month of the year that's ridiculous that's cold that's that's cold and the thing is that's not just cold to ludwig it's cold to all of his fan base that still view other people on twitch and that's um that's also a sign to other twitch creators of well are we going to be valued and so that's uh, not a good look. That's not a good look. And so my prediction with Twitch, 
Twitch is going to uh, have a problem with retaining its biggest talent. The good news is there'll be new talent come along, but I think they're going to have a problem retaining their their biggest talent because YouTube does a 70-30 split instead of a 50-50 split. That's already more attractive. YouTube's the bigger platform. YouTube has more active viewership. YouTube's going to take all the same features as Twitch, but you're going to get more monetization options and more discovery options, replay value, and the recognition, and they give out trophies. There's, um, hmm, and a lot of Twitch streamers that are smart are already on YouTube as it is. So on top of that, YouTube can also throw them, um, you know, potentially uh, some uh, exclusive partnership money on top of everything. Yeah, what is like, Twitch is going to be hard-pressed to compete for creative talent, which is a real shame because, I mean... They should be smarter than that. And they have Amazon money, which is basically the same thing as Google money. So what's the problem here? Chris Hunter, thank you for the $10 super chat donation. Your question is, Roberto, if I were to do a daily, semi-daily, long-form podcast podcast on comics, movies, and news, how should I post the clips from the podcast? A separate clips videos in 24 hours, 48 hours. Your thoughts, please, and thank you. Okay, so... Basically, you could copy what I'm doing now. I mean, my plan, my plan, just so you guys know, is there is a such thing. It has no content right now. There is a such thing as a channel called Roberto Blake Highlights. There is a such thing as a channel called Roberto Blake Highlights. Over a period of time, the podcast will be clipped into three to eight minute segments based on whatever that will get uploaded there. And once we have enough of them, we'll have enough content on the regular to, since we're doing this Monday through Friday to basically, once I have the, 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 the process tuned up, we'll have enough there to upload basically daily. We'll have enough there to basically upload daily. So that's the thing that's coming. We're going to be clipping content. The reason we're calling it Roberto Blake highlights instead of podcast highlights is the same way that even though this is the create something awesome today podcast, the easiest thing to do was to name it the Roberto Blake podcast, at least when it comes to YouTube. So we went with Roberto Blake highlights. And the other good news from that is I can take highlights from any of my YouTube channels and we can just post them there and it's Roberto Blake highlights. And then I don't have to spin up multiple clip show channels. We're also probably, since we called it highlights, also going to post YouTube shorts there and call it a day. And so we'll, we'll do that. So then we'll have evergreen searchable, regular YouTube uh, style content with my name on it. And we'll have clips for potential scale, reach, virality, discoverability, as far as YouTube shorts. So we'll have clips uh, that are more evergreen and we'll have YouTube shorts and we'll just be churning those out. And we'll probably just, once we have enough of it all set up, we'll start, mass uploading that on a daily basis and we'll just keep churning out those in succession and just get the grinder going off of that because if i'm doing a monday through friday live stream as a podcast we have the ability just depending on how stuff comes out to get stuff for both youtube shorts and for regular clips as a clip show and it's not even close in terms of how much content we can get YouTube favors, frequency uploads, regularity. Um, we'll be able to break things down into their individual topics. The podcast is already doing well. I mean, we average almost a thousand 
views on this podcast, including the replays uh, with less than 2000 subscribers on the podcast. So it does really well as it is. So once we're able to go and post that kind of stuff and we're able to post daily, and we'll probably do that once the podcast has more momentum. And then I do have my regular channel. We'll probably be able to get to 1,000 subs to reach that part for monetization. And just by sheerly posting daily content, we'll get to the watch time just off of the daily nature of posting that content. So if I was doing something with comics, I could easily do the same thing because a podcast is a podcast is a podcast. So basically my formula for it is you can make the podcast show, you can do it live, then you can have somebody in the background uh, edit out the audio. You can distribute that across all the audio podcast platforms. You can go ahead and set up a Spotify anchor account. You can up, re-upload the same video in terms of a complete podcast over to there. You can monetize there as well. If you want, since it's live, you can simulcast to other platforms like even Facebook, right? Um, maybe you qualify for Facebook watch monetization under the same thing. Then you can have the clips edited. You can post the clips in all the platforms and then hopefully get monetized. And then you can cut a short form vid vertical video and you can post that in all the places that take short form vertical video, including TikTok, YouTube shorts, all of it. And you can monetize all of those. Podcast is the most practical path to monetizing content. And so in a YouTube ecosystem of that, I think you have a regular podcast channel. And then I think you have a highlights, uh, um, a highlights channel. H3 productions does the same thing. They do the live show. They broadcast the show live or they'll upload an episode and then they'll have per episode, maybe six clips over on the highlights channel per episode. And they're doing multiple episodes a week uh, of different shows on the podcast. So that's the approach that I believe works. And the benefit of that is with the live show, you get the replays in terms of the ad revenue. You get live monetization in real time. So you have that. So, I mean, there's just so much opportunity. You have the memberships as well for people who want to um, do the memberships. So that option exists. So there's... Um, yeah. So for me, I just think that the, you know, I just think that as far as that goes, you might as well. Yep. So that's my thoughts. And that's just me. And I think the highlights channel would get monetized. I mean, I don't know how fast it'd get monetized, mind you, but I think the highlights channel would do that. <clears throat> and so I don't think it'd be a problem. And I think long-term having that is really a good source of revenue. I think H3 even said that's one of their most profitable things is the highlights channel. And then they did a a YouTube shorts channel on top of that. You could go either way on that one, by the way. You can go either way. So Adrian asked, Roberto, do you do public speaking uh, apart from the creator economy? I just finished my first public speaking engagement. Yeah, I do public speaking 
I did public speaking um, when there's not like a raging pandemic. Yeah, you know, I'm going to be doing some public speaking again next year. I mean, I'm vaccinated. Um, we can travel again for the most part. They haven't stopped that yet unless they do. And so as long as they're allowing events to be held and allowing travel to happen, I'm going back to public speak and I'm just going to do it as safely as possible. The events are usually really good about that. Vid Summit was really good about that. So, um, you know, that's uh, that's what I'll be doing. Congrats on your first uh, public speaking gig, though. It's actually being a public speaker is actually harder than people think. A lot of people actually dunk on public speakers and motivational speakers. And it's like people talk so much trash. It's like it's insane how much trash people talk these uh, these days. But um, it's actually really difficult. If any of the people who go into like YouTube comments or YouTube shorts and stuff like that, especially YouTube shorts, YouTube shorts comments have been some of the most toxic comments I've seen from people. Whenever I watch stuff from like uh, Gary V, for example, if I go into the comment section on like any of Gary V's YouTube YouTube shorts. It's a radically different thing than because I think people also know what they're doing. If they go to a Gary V video, a long form Gary V video on his main channels, and they try that nonsense, Gary V's community will come for their throat. And rightfully so, by the way, and rightfully so, because it's nonsense. And a lot of times they just make stuff up or they repeat or regurgitate things they hear. You don't have to like Gary V. You don't have to love Gary V, but you don't get to lie about Gary V. And see, that's my problem is that People lie or they repeat misinformation, quite literally fake news. My favorite piece of fake news that people spread about Gary Vee that can be debunked with five minutes of research is they say that he grew up rich. Okay, last time I checked, it's verifiable that his parents and him immigrated here from Soviet Russia, communist Russia, during an oppressive regime, and they were Jewish refugees. All right, so explain to me how Gary Vaynerchuk grew up rich and privileged when he has to flee the country he was born in, give up speaking his native-born language, give up his native tongue, and his name isn't even Gary. They had to change his name from his name of birth so that he could assimilate into America. Explain to me what part of being a Jewish refugee, giving up your language, giving up your birth name, and giving up your homeland, explain to me which part of that is you growing up rich and privileged to come live in Jersey and then be discriminated against as a Russian Jew. Like, explain that to me. Explain privilege there. Explain not seeing his dad for like um, the first like eight years in America growing up because his dad was working all the time and whatever. And the most he saw his dad is when he went to work for him. Like, explain that to me. Explain to me if he was so rich and privileged, why didn't his parents buy his grades or buying him to a good school? Why did he buy, go to such a crappy college that the college doesn't exist anymore? You see, people can't get their narrative to match reality and facts when they're scrutinized. But what they can do is say something enough times to where everyone else believes it. So, like, that's my problem is you don't have to like people. You don't have to like people on the Internet. You don't have to like hustlers. You don't have to like entrepreneurs. You don't have to like YouTubers. You don't have to like motivational speakers. Doesn't mean you get to lie. It doesn't mean you get to spread misinformation. It doesn't mean you get to ignore objective, verifiable facts. <laughs> like you don't, you do not get to lie just cause you're bitter, you know? So yeah, I mean, that's my like quote unquote Gary V, you know, fanboy moment <laughs> is you don't have to like them. You just don't get to lie. <laughs> so, so yeah, um, with me, um, one of the things that I'm really looking forward to 
that I think is going to be really interesting is I'm predicting that they are going to make changes to YouTube shorts. I think they're going to make changes to YouTube shorts. I think that it's not a complete product yet and that we haven't seen everything that has to offer. So I think one of the things that we'll get is we'll get some type of duets type feature because um, that's one of the big things with TikTok. And I think YouTube could even take it further. And I think it'll be reminiscent of when we used to have video responses, video replies uh, to the original video. So like, I believe that YouTube shorts will get, um, I think that YouTube shorts will get some updates for sure. I genuinely believe that. That's definitely a 2022 prediction. I think a 20 up to 2025 or sooner prediction that I have. 2025 or sooner prediction. YouTube will give us uh, dynamic thumbnails. So it won't be just like A-B testing. I think we'll get like two or three choices for thumbnails. We'll get two or three choices for thumbnails and we'll be able to set YouTube to say, hey, figure out which one of these works best or which works best for which audience. And it'll serve different thumbnails, just like Netflix, just like Netflix. I believe that YouTube by 2025 will give us dynamic thumbnail serving just like Netflix by 2025. I believe that with my whole chest. I believe that one facts. I believe that one for sure. Um, what else, what else can we expect? Hmm. By 2030, AI voice dubbing in YouTube, basically just like Netflix. Like whatever I'm saying, I'll be able to either pay extra or click a button or whatever and have it literally just dub me into another language and it'll be done with artificial intelligence and that'll be 2030. 2030. Andy Japandi asked, do you think YouTube will do AI auto-generated thumbnails? They kind of already do. They kind of already do. Uh, but instead of them generating it for us like this, I think we'll be able to make the thumbnails we want and they'll dynamically serve them to the audience based on what we'll perform with them. Uh, Gabe here coming through. Um, Gabe says, my favorite is when people say all Gary V says is common sense stuff or in general, they'll take them out of context. You know, if what Gary V is saying uh, is common sense, then it's definitely not common practice. If it's common sense, it's definitely not common, pra common practice. Um, here's one for you. I see a lot of people these days, and this is, we'll start to wrap up the show here. All right, so here's one of my 2022 predictions that I'm not happy about. My prediction in 2022 is that people will become more polarized, more entitled, more self-absorbed, and they will uh, continue to hate on people who are successful and pretend that we're playing the same game when we're clearly not. And I don't like that I have to make that prediction, but it's like, that's the trend. I think the trend will continue of people feeling sorry for themselves and people not acknowledging. Cause the thing is you, I, and the thing is, it's so weird. The framing these people often use sometimes there's nobody who doesn't want society to get better. It's an absurd notion to think that there's anybody who does not want society to improve and to progress. 
even people who make money, even people who are successful, yes, even the god-awful evil 1% or 0.1% or the millionaires and the billionaires, the millionaires and the billionaires, guess what? They're not evil rubbing their hands thinking of how to keep everybody down and everybody in squalor so that they can maintain their status and position. Because to be very real with you, they're not concerned about you competing with them because if you were going to compete with them, you would just compete with them. That goes for you, that goes for me, that goes for everybody. And I say that from the position of an athlete. I want you to think about this with real world common sense that's not common practice. If you were an athlete who knows that you were in the gym every day, crushing it for the last 10 years, and you already have 10 years of advantage of crushing it in the gym, You've already built the foundation of a healthy body. You've been doing this for 10 years. You have an excellent, excellent trainer that you pay good money to. You have a nutrition plan. You watch what's in your body. You've got the best habits that anybody's ever had. Are you really concerned that somebody who just comes up and just finally gets their head above water and is just coming into the gym and it's their first month, are you really worried about that person coming for your neck? The answer is probably no. The answer is probably no, realistically. Let me tell you a secret of why I can teach any of you anything that I know about success and why I'm not afraid of enabling my competition, which is the nonsense people have come at me sideways with in the past. I'll tell you a secret. I'll tell you a secret. I can tell you anything and everything I know without hesitation because it's not enough to compete with me. Me telling you every secret, every knowledge, every scrap of how I make money, how I use a system, how I use a platform does not make you my competition. And I don't say that arrogantly. I actually say that from a place of humility. Having my knowledge is not having my network. Having my knowledge is not having my body of work. Having my knowledge is not having my execution, implementation, and experience of deploying that knowledge. No amount of you knowing what I know makes up for the experience of living it. Lived experience will always beat academic knowledge. Lived experience will always beat academic knowledge. And established relationships cannot be undermined so easily by a newcomer to the space who is a stranger, who is unaffiliated, who has no reputation. So you could literally elevate yourself all you want in resources, and you actually haven't been elevated in status just because you were elevated in resources because nobody knows you. And you also, even if you came by new resources, through merit, you still haven't reached the broader, larger community of people who've already been managing those resources for a long period of time, have played and competed in that space for a long period of time. You wouldn't know if you entered a new social um, class. You wouldn't necessarily know how to navigate the politics of the people who have been there um, working together or against each other for the better part of a decade or two decades, or for generations, you might have the knowledge of your field, your expertise, your industry, but what you don't have the knowledge of is of the players in the game on the board. And that's actually probably even more important. So a lot of people underestimate the idea that they think the only gap between them and other people 
are resources. Some people with a little bit more forethought think that it's resources and knowledge, but then they forget that it's also experience, relationships, and also the um, the putting that knowledge to work for a very long, consistent period of time and what that does for you. They also neglect that it's the habits. And so it's scary to think how naive people are about money and success and relationships and all these things, and that they think that just fixing one or two things would close the gap. They don't consider the other variables in the equation. They don't consider the other variables in the equation. And, and so there's a lack of thoughtfulness there. And so it's something that I try to point out because people, it's something I try to put out because people, they misinterpret how all of this works. And I say, this is coming from a background where I did not have money as somebody who's doing pretty well for themselves as a new homeowner, there's things I have to learn about navigating that, that I'm like, okay, I'm smart, but here's a sector of life that I've been ignorant about for a very long time compared to people who've been doing it for a very long time. Even if they're not as successful as me in other arenas, they're more knowledgeable here because they have lived experience and I do not. So like you can only like one of the smartest things you can do is be aware of how ignorant you actually are. And a lot of people that are unsuccessful make a lot of assumptions about success that actually prove that they may even be too ignorant to handle it. And it's scary because there's a reason why there's a lottery curse and like getting a windfall of money in large amounts very early instead of incrementally and very quickly without the knowledge of how to live that way. Um, it's why lottery winners go broke. It's why lottery winners go back. I've also seen viral YouTubers get successful, blow up and fall off and go broke. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've seen people blow up and go broke. I've seen it. And it is a lack of experience, a lack of knowledge, a lack of maturity, and not having the ability to navigate new experiences, new relationships with the humility to accept that you are ignorant and that you don't know what you don't know, and it will hurt you. Um, also, a lot of these people, they think they know how to take a punch, but they don't. And so life has this habit of throwing roundhouse kicks to your face. And uh, people think that it stops at some point because they get somewhere. <laughs> no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It switches it up. And so, you know, one minute you're taking a punch to the face, one minute it's a roundhouse kick, the next you the end the legs swept right under you Cobra Kai style. And it'll come in different forms. It'll come in different forms. And it's, and it's devastating because, um, it could be to some extent mitigated and avoided by having the humility to realize that people don't get where they are for no reason. People don't get where they are or have what they have for no reason. The assumption that they do is true arrogance and true ignorance. And, and what you'd have to understand is this. <clears throat> There's a very, very straightforward road to being successful. And the thing is, most people don't want to believe that that's true, because if that was true, then wouldn't everybody be successful? Here's the problem with thinking that way. Everybody could be physically fit for the most part if they're physically able, but they're not. There's not much stopping all of us from having the body of Greek statues and having washboard abs. We don't have the discipline for it. There's no secret formula. Eat healthy, hydrate, 
exercise, do resistance training, do weight training. It doesn't cost you money to be physically fit. Some of the most physically fit people I know are dead broke. It's habits. It's habits and it's doing very difficult things over and over and over and over for long periods of time. And success is the very same. Even if you didn't have a lot of money, if you decided to have the discipline and habits, if I, if I had invested the money that I spent through ages 17 to 27 on movie tickets, alcohol, clubbing, and um, trinkets, and vending machines, um, extra junk food, fast food, desserts, eating out. If I had if I had invested from age 17 to 27 any of the money that I spent on those things, or even just the money that I probably spent on alcohol alone in that 10-year period, if that money had been invested, because I'm 37 now, if I had instead invested every dollar I ever spent on um, alcohol or going out from ages 17 to 27, then here at age 37, I would be rich as long as I invested it in something. Again, it's not that hard to figure out what to invest in. If I had invested that money in Microsoft, I'd be rich. Apple, I'd be rich. And it's obvious, but it's like, okay, how could you know those companies would be, so everyone would know, even 10 years ago, everyone knows those companies are gonna be successful. Let's not kid ourselves. If I had invested that money or saved it up for a rainy day and invested it in Facebook, I'd be rich. It's like, or I'd be really well off, or I would have had the money to buy this house cash instead of a, you know going into a mortgage. It's, you know, it's not even close. But it would have required me to have the discipline over the course of those 10 years to not spend that money on those things and to invest and continue to invest for another 10 years after that. So 20 years of discipline is all it would have taken. 20 years of discipline, even in the years where I didn't have money, have a lot of money, all I would have had to do is take the disposable income I did have and invest it soundly for 20 years. And I would have been rich. But again, I would have also had to have been thinking like that. I would have actually also had to believe that. I also would have had the confidence. I would have had to have the ability to take risk and to value the potential of future success over the present level of comfort that I could have. That's not the mentality of most people. And that's what's really responsible for the lack of success that people have. That's what's the truth. It's a harsh truth, but... I'm 37. I've only I only deal in harsh truths. I'm I'm like you know I, I maybe I would entertain being soft if I was in my 20s or in my teens or in my young adulthood. I'm nearly 40. I, I like harsh truths. It's like don't bother me. I mean, reality is what it is. I I'm not going to sit here and I'm not going to ignore it because it'd be more comfortable or be more like you know. Um, PC or empathetic to do so. It's that I'd rather just tell you the truth. So Chris Hunter, thank you for another $10 super chat, my friend. Uh, Roberto, have you ever tested thumbnails on Facebook to see which one had the highest CTR and then use that thumbnail on YouTube before launch window of a new video? Thoughts on that? Actually, what I've done is I've used a service called Thumblytics instead to do um, user testing against thumbnails. Um, and so I had 100 people um, vote on options between three three thumbnails, two to three thumbnails. Um, and that was fruitful. I did that for a couple of things. My instincts on thumbnails have gotten a lot better over time. So um, I 
do a lot less A-B testing. Um, what I will do is sometimes if I really feel like something's underperforming, I will change it and I will um, instinctively go to something that I just think is either visually more contrast and striking or that I think is a title that's just more aggressive. Um, and that usually does it. Adrian says the humility it takes to admit that you don't know something was the hardest thing I've ever done. Saying I don't know is liberating. Oh, facts. Like uh, the the level of things I did not know when it came to uh, becoming a homeowner. I'm still educating myself even now, uh, but it's one of those I'm willing to be a student again. I'm willing to go back to school again. And that's um, the thing. You know, that's the thing that I, I really see is that people level off and they stop learning. They stop learning until a new circumstance forces them to uh, like getting a new job. They'll learn how to do the thing for the job. But OK, what happens to a lot of people is they don't learn a trade or they don't uh, prepare for the idea of, hey, I might want to. Yeah, I mean, like we did a we did a podcast about the secrets of success. All right. We actually did an episode about this. And one of the most straightforward things I've always said is that people can learn a technical high level of skill um, in something like a software, knowing that software eats everything, or they can do a trade. I also point out that every single person without exception can easily figure out what jobs pay what, and they can do the math. You can figure out what lifestyle do I want? You can do the math. You can run a lifestyle calculator. You can figure out, okay, for the state that I live in and the lifestyle that I want, the family size that I want, you can sit there and say, cost of living calculator. You go to something like Nerd Wallet, right? You can do a cost of living calculator and say, okay, if I'm going to live in this state, here's how much money I need to have to live the comfortable, healthy lifestyle that I really want as far as all of my wants and needs and desires and having a little bit of extra. Here's how much money I'd have to make. You can then go to okay, what jobs pay at least blah, 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 blah. And you can go to Glassdoor, salary.com, indeed.com. You go to all these websites. You can figure out what career pays that amount of money. Then you can look up the job description. You can look up the requirements. You can look at which companies hire for those positions, which ones pay the best, which ones have the best compensation, which ones have the best company culture, which one is aligned with your values. And you can say, okay, in order to get a job and a career that gives me the money that I want to live off of, I have to meet these qualifications and I will raise my level of ability, my level of knowledge, my skills, and I will have this profession or this trade and these skills, and I will be useful to these types of companies and I'll submit applications. I'll find people that I know that know somebody that works there. I'll build the relationships. So it's like, oh, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Okay. Well, what about expanding the circle of who you know? Or what about asking the circle that you already have to find out what their six degrees of separations are? What about doing that extra layer of work? What about doing that extra layer of work? I mean, don't we do that when we want to start dating people? When we don't have immediately somebody in front of us that we like, we have a crush on or we're attractive to, then we start asking uh, friends and family members to say, hey, um, you know, this is like the kind of person that I like or I would like to meet. If you, you know, happen to see somebody that you think I'd be interested in, let me know, maybe make an intro, blah, 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 blah. That's how it's usually done. Okay. Um, a lot of times you also have to go outside of your circle and say, okay, I have to go where single people exist. Okay, so you have to do that. Okay, I have to go and put myself out there. You have to do some level of work. Same thing with your lifestyle and your career and the outcomes that you want. Okay, what are you willing to change? 
to change the outcome? What are you willing to change about your habits? What are you willing to change about yourself? You want to make more money, you have to change yourself to make more money. You're not just going to make no more, more money for no reason. A lot of people actually say, well, if people have this much money, why don't they just pay more? It's like, just because someone has money doesn't entitle another person to it. Right now, is someone entitled to your money just because you have it? The answer is no. No one's entitled to your money right now without providing you value. And no one's entitled to get paid more just because you have more in your pockets at that moment. You know, like you might have the money in your pocket to leave a bigger tip. Did the service you get merit or deserve you leaving a bigger tip? Or like, what, should you pay more if you were disrespected by somebody just because you can afford it? And the answer is no. Should you pay more for low quality work just because you could afford it? The answer is no. But see, the minute that the amount of money that you do have or that you make gets to a certain amount or gets higher, people have this notion that you should just suck it up and that you should just give people more money for no reason or, again, or no reason related to the exchange of the value, no reason related to you not being taken advantage of in that situation, no reason related to how you were treated or what you received. But it's one of those like situations where the other person, they're framing the other person as disadvantaged when we're talking about an exchange of value. This is not like an underdog story situation. This is not a competition in that way of just because you can, you know, pay more doesn't mean you should. Just because you can doesn't always mean you should. And that includes paying someone more, especially when it comes to, I mean, I remember a situation where um, it was a Mother's Day, actually. It was a Mother's Day. I took my mom and uh, my sisters out uh, for Mother's Day. And I remember that there was, you know, there was a server at the restaurant. There was actually a really, there was a great waiter and there was another server. And this other server, she actually like really kind of was disrespectful to my mom. And my mom like asked her like, you know, a question because, you know, she's a diabetic and the, you know, the woman was very short with her and was very like, very like actually like rude to her. And then I remember um, on the way to the restroom, actually heard her say something like really kind of like gross, like, uh, and it was just very rude. It was very, you know, whatever. So when it came time, um, I didn't tip her as well as I tipped the gentleman who was very polite, you know, was very out, did everything he could above and beyond and just was very professional about everything. And he took his job and you can tell it's somebody that had said, regardless of how much they get paid, they have their own personal standards, right? Of how they behave, how they treat people, how they show up, how they do things and everything like that. Your personal standards and your work ethic and the way that you treat people has nothing to do with how much you get paid. A lot of people want to behave that way and say, oh, well, if I'm like not getting paid, I'm going to do like a half-assed job or whatever, this or that. It's like, and I, I understand to some extent, I do, I really do. I've worked crappy jobs my whole, like, you know, most of my adult life before I became an entrepreneur. But the reality is that no one wants to pay to be treated in a disrespectful way or to have work not done or not to get what they asked for, or literally to have a bad experience. People don't want to pay extra for that. And the thing is when you give people a bad experience, what your situation is doesn't matter in terms of how they should behave or what they should do um, in terms of compensation towards you. 
because it one, it's not their problem in the first place. Number two, um, just because they're in a position to do that, it doesn't make it a reasonable thing to do if they did not get what they were promised or what they expected or what was guaranteed or what's reasonable as far as an experience they can expect. So what it came down to was I ended up tipping in proportion to how people chose to behave. And so someone who went above and beyond got a very generous tip and somebody else who did much less than probably not even in my opinion, truly deserving of a tip at all got the bare minimum. And the gap between those two tips, I'm not going to tell you the pricing, but it's like, it wasn't even close. And I don't feel bad about it because, um, you know, you're not going to sit there and, you know, disrespect my family or disrespect my mom, not especially not on Mother's Day because you're having a rough day or whatever. And then me decide to then be generous towards you. Somebody who, you know, goes out of their way to create a good experience. On the other hand, I have no problem with being generous. And that's true for most people. Your standards matter. The way you treat people matters. The way you approach your work ethic and integrity matters. But also the reality is this. Everybody can easily look up what they want to have, what it takes to get what you want to have, and act accordingly. So that means that if you don't have what you want out of life, barring some massive outside interference or some massive disadvantage that you're born with, because that happens. Outside of that, for the other, let's say, 90% of people who don't have what they want, okay, did you look up at any point and figure out or ask anybody what it would take for you to have what you want? And then what did you do to set about putting yourself in a position to get it? And, and that's why I love content creators, by the way, because content creators are actually really good about this. Content creators are fantastic about this. Oh, I want to be a full-time YouTuber? What does it take to get monetized on YouTube? Oh, it's 1,000 subs. It's 4,000 watch hours. People get the 1,000 subs, 4,000 watch hours. They say, okay, I'm checking off those two job requirements. Oh, what does it take to get sponsors? What does it take to get sponsors? Oh, I need to get like 5,000, 10,000 subscribers or followers in a platform. Okay, I guess I'm going to grind and I'm going to get 5,000, 10,000 subscribers or followers in a platform. They do it. When content creators and creative folks see a check in the box that they have to do to meet their requirements, they just get it done. They just put themselves on the path to getting it done. They'll look up the information. Hell, that's how I get my views. People look up the information. They try to understand the assignment. <laughs> and so uh, people do that. And there's a real difference between people who say, here's what I want. Oh, here's what it takes to get it. Okay, I guess I'm going to do that. Game on. There's a difference between that and then people who are like, man, I want what I want and people should give it to me. So like, so there's like, there's a massive disconnect there's a massive disconnect between people just not looking at the fact that they have the greatest opportunities that have ever existed for human beings ever, especially if they live in America. If you live in America, you're blessed beyond reasoning to live in this time. If you live in the 2020s, you're blessed beyond reasoning to exist in this time. And you didn't do anything for that one. So you're incredibly privileged in that situation. And uh, assuming you didn't come here, you know, like my family did is like, you know, immigrants, if you were born here, I'm first generation. If you were born here, you're blessed beyond measure. Someone else made your life better. 
okay, you didn't do that. Somebody else gave you a much better opportunity than they have by making sure you were born here. Um, so I thank my lucky stars for that every day. And you, you have to accept that you have opportunities today your grandparents didn't have. Your ancestors would be embarrassed by the idea of you thinking that you have it rough compared to them. So relative to that, I think we can all accept with a little bit of humility that we have it good, not because of our actual circumstances, but because of the potential we have to do something about it. The potential that we have to do something about it is much greater. Your chances of success are greater. Your chances of economic mobility are greater. In America, you have a much better chance. And I'm being very real. I'm not being facetious when I say this. You do realize that in America, you have a better chance of being a millionaire than being homeless. Because I actually know the statistics on this. In America, unfortunately, there's 650,000 homeless people in America. There's 650,000 people experiencing homelessness in America. About a quarter million of those people are unsheltered. Now, on the other hand, there are about roughly 24 million millionaires in America. Median age of that is about 63, if I'm not mistaken. 65% of Americans are homeowners currently. 65% of adult Americans are homeowners, and that's down. It used to be about 70%. And the median income in America, meaning over 50% of Americans, are making over $55,000 a year. You have a better chance of being successful than being destitute in America, and it's not even close. That being said, that being said, and that doesn't disrespect anyone who's experiencing hardship. What I'm telling you is, You've been robbed of any confidence. You've been robbed of any optimism. No one wants you to understand how much potential you have because then you'll be one of the crabs that got out of the barrel. And they need you to feel as bad about your options and about your prospects as they do because they're lacking in hope and they need to rob you of hope as well. Or even people that preach this negativity that themselves are more successful than you are so unhappy that they need other people to be miserable so that they can normalize it and not have to feel like a freak for being miserable while having more than you. Because then if misery is just the default, then relatively speaking, because everything for them is relativism, by the way, that's the other reason they're depressed, is relatively, if everybody's miserable, then they don't have to feel as much guilt about being unhappy with all of the trappings of their success. And I know that that's harsh. And I know that that's like a little, wow, that's dark, but I need you to understand that going into 2022, you have every reason to be optimistic. Despite everything that's happened for the last couple of years, you have every reason to be optimistic. You have every reason to be hopeful because you can make changes in your life that will determine your outcomes. I can't predict your future, but I can tell you this. If you put your mind to it over the next 365 days going forward, and every single day you try to make real progress in achieving the goals that you set for yourself, as long as those goals are realistic. If you want to make more money next year, if you spend 365 days next year pursuing revenue generating activities, you set yourself a daily income goal next year of even making $100 a day extra Every single day, 365 days, 365 days, you may not make that goal. Here's the good news. You could fail 90% of the time 
to hit your daily income goal of a hundred extra dollars next year, you could fail 90% of the time and you'll make $3,650 extra that you wouldn't have made if you hadn't tried. So think about that. If you shoot to make $100 a day, every single day as extra money next year, but you only make 10, you still will be up by $3,650. There's almost no way that any of you who are working a nine to five job will get a $3,650 raise out of your boss. So you might as well give it to yourself. And that's $10 a day of extra money. And that's it. $10 a day extra, $3,650. That could be enough money to begin the beginnings of making your life better, you know? Because if that money is put towards something specific, that could be the beginnings of making your life better. But what if you succeeded 50% of the time next year? 50% of the time, well, all of a sudden, you've made an extra $18,000. If you made $50 a day every single day next year, you will have made like $18,000. If you made $30 a day every single one of the 365 days next year, $30 daily income goal, like you would have failed to get $100 70% of the time, and yet you will have still ended up making an extra $10,000 next year. And $10,000 next year could be life-changing for you. If you're making less than $30,000, you literally just made 50% more money than you would have made if you hadn't. But the thing is, if people have you depressed and discouraged, you're not going to try. And if you don't do that, then you're not going to move ahead. And if you don't move ahead, then they won't feel so bad. Because the real people who worry about status are not the people at the tippy, 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 tippy top, because they have too many advantages to worry about people from the bottom somehow magically ascending to a point to leapfrog them. It's not likely to happen. However, people at the top of the bottom People at the bottom of the middle, on the other hand, do care a lot about the status that they have and comparing themselves relative to other people. But people who already have 20 and 30 years of advantages are not worried about you somehow coming up because you can do really well and it won't be enough to take from them. Not in a significant way. And that's the real myth out there. The real myth out there is that the idea that someone, like I told you, I am not really worried in general relative to my own situation about other people i don't really have the energy and the emotional investment for it also i'm an introvert so i i really don't <laughs> like i'm an introvert so i really don't but here's the thing there are a lot the most unhappy people are the people who deal in relativism instead of reality when enough is never about what did i want and did i get it versus other people having more than me, other people having it better than me, other people getting it sooner than me, other people getting it faster than me. I don't worry about that. I only worry about myself and what I want because I was a track and cross country runner. I only worried about getting my best time. I, a lot of people don't believe me. I would rather get a bronze medal and have my best time than get a gold medal and be slower. I would be pissed if I beat everyone else but lost to my best time. I could beat everybody else and I could lose to my best time and I would be unhappy because just doing better than other people would not do it for me. I need to do better than myself. I need my personal best. I would need the improvement. I would rather have a bronze medal and lose to two other people, but get my best time. If I could have broke a five minute mile, but took on a bronze medal or not medaled at all, I would have been happier than getting a 530 and winning and getting a gold. If I got a 530 and got a gold medal, 
but I didn't, but I would rather break five minutes and get a 458 and take a bronze or not medal at all. I'd rather lose the 10 people, but break a five minute mile. I'd rather lose the 10 people and break a five minute mile than do a 530 mile just to beat everybody else. You see, that's a different type of mentality. There's a different type of mentality when you just want the best you can do and the best you can have and not have better relative to other people is a completely different mindset shift. Sadly, I don't think nearly enough people will make that mindset shift in 2022, 2023, 2024, 2025, because I ultimately think that culturally, people have realized they can monetize making people miserable and making people envious and distracted by relativism instead of their own reality. I think it's extremely profitable to monetize making people upset about the circumstances they have relative to other people instead of focusing on the circumstances of shifting their own reality. And I know it's more profitable because I can literally look at YouTube channels to do it and know that they're making more money than me. <laughs> um, I can look at media outlets and see, oh, yep, they're getting more attention than me. Like me and anybody that's trying to actually get people to focus on doing internal deep work, internal deep work, and actually not just pandering to the narrative of mental health, but saying, here is how we have to make a healthy version of hustle around productivity that's focused on intentionality, mindfulness, personal achievement, individual responsibility, and eliminating bad self-destructive habits. Like me and the people talking about that are not getting as much attention as people always telling you how much more money Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk have than you. People like me who want you to work on yourself, work on your headspace, work on your habits, build a career that you like, figure out your personal finance situation, eliminate your bad habits, not feel like you have to spend money to feel good about yourself because then you have something that is similar to what someone else has and so you can be part of it. FOMO, like people like me talking you out of that will not make as much money and will not get as much attention as people that are trying to leverage your emotions and make you angry every minute of the day. We just won't. We can't compete with them and win because we're only selling hard work, earnestness, intentionality, thoughtfulness, mindfulness. And that's not a sexy sell. That's nerd shit. That's not a sexy sell. So it's not um, it's not as easy to sell. Hey, maybe you wake up in the morning with some music, you hydrate, you go for a walk. You take it in and you think about what you're grateful for. You meditate, you pray. It's like, that's not as easy to get attention around as saying, hey, here's how much more money this person has than you. Doesn't that suck? Like, or, oh, here's all the things you'll never have. Or, hey, wagging the finger, wagging the finger and saying, hey, millennial, you'll never be a homeowner instead of saying, hey, I grew up in your situation and I changed my life and here are some things that might help you. Here are some books you can read. Hey, look into these programs to help you in terms of what um, is offered for your financial situation. Or, hey, did you know about this policy that benefits people like you? Look into this, see what your um, city offers. Like, no, that's not nearly as um, 
you know, it's, it's funny. You can actually tell people how to help themselves and you'll get called a fake guru when you literally have substance and facts and you have research and you have all the data points, they'll call you a fake guru. You tell somebody what they want to hear with no evidence. They have nothing to say. You, have, you, you say something that confirms their most miserable thought. You tell somebody the worst thing in the world. You tell them the worst outcome. You predict the worst. You predict the worst thing with no evidence. You say the thing that validates their, their biggest insecurity with no evidence. And they will have no contradictions. They will not fight you. They will not combat you. You tell them everything that's out there to get them. You tell them everyone's out to get them. They won't ask for any evidence. You tell them some basic concepts of uh, personal finance. You preach some um, real common sense about personal responsibility. You show data-driven evidence behind claims that you're making. You literally could show them your damn taxes, and they'll still call you a fake guru. They'll still call you a fake guru. Um, and by the way, I'm not talking about commentators when I say that. I mean uh, people in the comment section of YouTube shorts and videos and on Twitter and stuff like that. I'm not talking about like um, independent journalists or YouTube commentators. I'm talking about viewers. I'm talking about viewers. I'm talking about people who are not in the game. I'm, not, I'm talking about people who are not even in the game um, will have that point of view with no real basis for that point of view. No real basis for that point of view. Um, I mean, you literally don't have to prove anything. If you take the most negative stance possible, you'll never be asked to account for it or prove why you believe that. If you take an optimistic or positive stance or you preach fiscal discipline even, that's not good enough. It's not good enough. I mean, there's nothing I said about, um, for example, like, oh, you could do a cost of living calculator, you do a salary com calculator, and you could live your life accordingly. It's like, that's just truth. That's just objective, empirical truth. You can actually do that, and you can make those choices. You don't even have to, like, go into engineering or computer science. You know, the reality is we ignore the trades in America a lot. And uh, blue-collar, there are so many blue-collar millionaires and people disrespect working with your hands. And the thing is, there's a lot of opportunity right there, right now. We have so many opportunities for people that could be mechanics, electricians, plumbers, electrical engineers. Um, people are not willing to do this work and it pays well. And people are not willing to do it. People are not willing to qualify for it. And then as far as technical jobs, we have so many engineering jobs that are available and they pay very well. We don't have people competing for those. Like if you want to be paid, like, like, a living wage, a living wage. Why not? Like, why is that your, why is that a goal? Why is that a goal? Why not qualify for a fantastic salary? Why not that affords a wonderful, very healthy lifestyle that allows you to have time with your family? Why not? Why is that not the goal? Well, oh, what everyone can't have that. Yeah, we actually could have a lot of people have that because you can't hold that job for 200 years. Someone else is going to have to come along and do that job when you age out. So yeah. Um, you know, technically speaking, everyone can be successful because we're not all going to exist at the same age at the same time. We're just not, right? So the idea of scarcity, there's this obsession with scarcity. Even with the creator economy, even with the creator economy, oh, we can't all be successful. We can't all be viral. It's like there are 2 billion viewers 
on YouTube. There are 2 billion global viewers on YouTube. You realize that there's um, things outside of the English speaking market. That's why there are new successful YouTubers every single year is because there's people outside the US to make content for. There's people outside the US to make content for. So there's a lot of people that um, are blowing up and are killing it. Most of the new channels that are getting gold play buttons are non-English speaking channels. New, new gold play buttons every year. Non-English speaking channels are the largest probably vertical for that. And why? Because there's so much abundance because there's also, we haven't reached 100% internet adoption. If we haven't reached 100% internet adoption, what, what makes you think everything is saturated and that there's no room for new people to be successful? Also, big creators age out, retire, quit. There's not a lot of genres where we've saturated um we haven't saturated diversity in every genre of YouTube. So you have that one. We haven't saturated representation in every genre of YouTube. So there's still opportunity, clearly, obviously. We also, there's no saturation of high quality content. There's no saturation of high quality content. There's no saturation of consistent daily content of high quality or of decent quality. There's not, YouTube Shorts is relatively new. YouTube Shorts is relatively new. You know how much content has not been made in short form? YouTube live streams are going in a completely new direction. Do you realize how much content there could be that could be shifted from recorded edited video to live experiences? Mobile live streaming isn't saturated either. High quality mobile live streaming isn't saturated. High quality podcasts are not saturated. High quality daily podcasts are not saturated. There is a lot of opportunity. The problem is that what people could do that would make them successful isn't necessarily what they want to do to be successful. That's like a big, big one. That's a huge one. What people want to do to be successful and what would actually work don't always line up and people are not willing to make choices and compromises. Um, something that a lot of people don't understand, they come to YouTube and they think that their answer is they think they want to be paid to just, um, live their life and post about their interest and do this thing. It's like, you have to do what the market says in some way, meaning that you're asking viewers for your attention. If you're asking someone for their time and attention, at some point you're beholden to do something that actually interests them, to give them something that they want to participate in, you know? So that's the answer. Um, malevolent elephant says, but Roberto for business owners, they have to have people work for them, right? It depends. It depends on how much money you want to make. You can make anywhere from, you can make anywhere from 30,000 to 3 million with zero employees. Some people think that's impossible. No, it's not, not with the internet, not with the scale of the internet. You can make from $30,000 a year to $3 million a year without a single employee. And one of the reasons that you could do that is YouTube, for example. One of the reasons you could do that is you could be a solo content creator. I don't recommend it, but you could be a solo content creator and you could edit your own videos. You know who still edits their own videos for the most part? I Justine. I Justine still edits her own videos. And when she doesn't, her sister Jenna is helping her. I just seen still ads her own videos. You can make $3 million a year as a content creator on YouTube. I think people are not shocked that if you can grow your channel, which people do grow their channels as solo content creators, you can grow your channel as a solo content creator and you could get a lot of brand deals. You have 10 relationships with brands. If you have 10 relationships with brands, 
that each are $100,000 a year contracts. It's a million dollars in brand deal contracts. That's one third of the income there. You could uh, be crushing it with regard to your ad revenue if you're that large of a YouTuber. So it's not abnormal that you might make a million in ad revenue there. Okay. I mean, well, how many views is that? Well, well, if I was going to get, if I was going to get um, a hundred thousand dollars in uh, then I a year in ad revenue, hundred thousand dollars in ad revenue, how many views would I need? Um, how many views would I need? If I were gonna do $100,000 a year in ad revenue, I would need probably about 10 million views a year and that's it. Yeah, 10 million views a year for me, for my channel, eight to 10 million views a year would do over $100,000 in ad revenue for me currently. Eight to 10 million views, that's it. You know plenty of big YouTubers that are in niches that pay pretty well that get that a month. So yeah, they could do a million in ad revenue um, pretty easily. I mean, that's more of a Graham Stefan under Jeek, but also, again, it wouldn't shock any of you if that's like a Argestine, a Marquez Brownlee, et cetera, et cetera. So the, um, the niche you're in matters. And so, yeah, you could be doing a million, three million a year as a YouTube content creator between ads, sponsorships, affiliate revenue, profitable merchandise line, licensing your name, um, with brands on top of that for products like Peter McKinnon or Justine or other people doing collab drops with the brand like Marquez does. There's uh, any number of ways to accomplish that. And you could do that without employees because again, in Justine's case, she doesn't have employees. Once in a while she'll contract people, but that's not the same thing. So you could have zero employees um, and you could just use contractors every now and again, or you could do what um, I'm largely doing. Um, I'm using uh, friends and family to work for me. Um, I hired um, most of my immediate family to work for me and they work part-time, they're contractors, they work part-time for me. So that, you know, you can be a solopreneur and you can make good money. Um, in fact, a couple of people here in the podcast have actually brought up that um, Elite Landscape Life Story says, I work solo making 160 uh, K a year after 10 years in business, anything is possible. Malevolent elephant says true. I made 150 K this year with 45 million views. And yeah, and these people are doing it without employees. So you can make six figures with no employees. A lot of people have this narrative now of, Oh, you can only make a certain amount of money by exploiting people. You can only make money. Oh, you didn't make that money. Your employees made that money. It's like, okay, first of all, there's something as independent contractors. Secondly, not everyone has a massive amount of employees and not everyone has to do that. I'll tell you exactly how someone can become ultra wealthy, but it would take them years and years and years. And this is just facts. This is like, this is just facts. This is just math. I'm just going to tell you math. So if I ran a, let me, um, let me see where I can, if I can find a compound interest calculator that we can bring up. Um, cause I, I figured this out. Um, and again, I just don't think that everyone's made for this by the way, cause, um, Lord knows that, um, life circumstance it's easier to not it's actually easier it's easier to find a relative level of comfort that doesn't require you to be the best in the world being the best in the world at something is tremendously difficult um you know you could act like i mean simone biles is a like a good example um it's it's just really hard to like to live the life of being the best in the world at something. It's just like it's tremendously 
it's tremendously difficult to live um, with that. It really is. Um, so let's let's look at something here. Um, what's the maximum four hundred one k contribution? The maximum four hundred one k contribution is, I believe, the maximum four hundred one k contribution. I want to say right now it's nineteen thousand. So 19,000 divided by 12 is 1,500. Okay, so we'll do that. Okay, so I have the data. I have the data. Um, so running a compound interest calculator running a compound interest calculator and i'm gonna uh blow this up a little bit so you guys can see if you're watching the podcast instead of uh instead of just listening in the audio version i've done a compound interest calculator it makes the assumption that let's say for whatever reason we can put uh ten thousand dollars away as an initial deposit which i know sounds like a lot but um just bear with me and this is more for an entrepreneur this is more for an entrepreneur than it is for say a regular employee right if you're an entrepreneur and let's say that you you had like a successful year and then you decided okay i've never invested my whole life i'm going to do that and you decide to open up a solo 401k and i believe you can invest nineteen thousand a year in a solo 401k between your regular contribution as an employee and an employer as a self-employed person but don't quote me on that and again it won't matter in a minute because we're actually going to take this even further um, if you decided that you did this like um, and you did this in your let's say you became an entrepreneur um, in your 30s and you decide you're going to work for 25 years, you know, then, yeah, you'd have even if we do a if you did a regular S&P 500 and you did that and you didn't try to do any major investing or try to copy um, Warren Buffett's portfolio or anything and all you got was an 8 percent return. Um, it's 25 years as uh, a continued person, gainfully employed, um, self-employed to do $1.5 million. And that's what the math is. And again, that, that matches why the median age of millionaires is um, 63 years old and most of their income is in home equity. But I'm going to show you something different. If you're an entrepreneur and you have what's called a SEP IRA. And this is not financial advice. This is just math. A SEP IRA, you can actually contribute up to um, about 60,000 a year right now, I believe. So literally with the same 8% return, same uh, 10,000 initial deposit, but let's say you decide to max out your SEP IRA, which would lower your overall taxable income per year, but you'll be taxed in your retirement. Instead, you, um, that instead of 1.5, you go to 4.8 in the same 25 year lifespan. Again, this means this is for your retirement, mind you. Um, so fully funded retirement. Let me show you something different though. Let me show you something different. Let me show you what happens to these YouTube kids and these TikTok kids if they play their cards right from now on. If these TikTok kids and YouTube kids that are 20 are crushing it and they continue to have solid income um, and they decide, you know what, um, uh, they're going to start with an initial deposit. Let's, let's say that, um, let's say the first year 
that they ever clear a million dollars, their parents help them out and say, you're going to just put that into investments, right? And then let's say instead of the regular stuff, let's say they don't even bother to contribute anything else because their parents said, you're going to take a million and I don't care if you ever invest again for the rest of your life, you're going to take a million and we're going to invest you in like the tech companies. Well, the tech companies, if you just follow even the um, like five largest tech companies and everything like that, even my annualized return on that is like really high, but like with the tech companies, 20% would be modest. Well, if they don't contribute anything ever again, the compound interest 25 years later, let's not even use 25 years. Let's say that those kids just invest that same $1 million and they just let sit for 10 years because you don't feel like the tech companies will just like crutch it for like, let's, let's say 15 years. Let's be reasonable here. 15 years, $1 million becomes almost $20 million with no work, no effort, no nothing. And that is, yes, I'm assuming the tech companies, I'm assuming tech companies have an annualized return of 20% over the next 15 years. Oh, wait, because most of them have, uh, because most of them have. But let's just make that an even more modest number. Let's go back down. Hey, let's go back down to like Warren Buffett's whole like 8% thing. 1 million becomes 3 million in 15 years with no work. Money still triples. Money still triples. 1 million becomes 3.3 million with no work. The reason that the rich get richer is because they have healthier habits financially than regular normal people. The rich get richer because they have one. Yes, they have more to start with and work with. But most people think about how to spend a million dollars. Most people wouldn't say, you know what, I'm not going to spend the million. I'm not I'm going to pretend I never had it. And I'm just going to continue to work for 15 years. And if I get to make another million, then maybe I spend the second one. Like they they wouldn't most normal people would not do that. Why? They value comfort more then they value success. That is the difference, is the difference. And I'm not shaming anyone for it. Again, if I had invested in my 20s instead of doing things to be more comfortable, going out with friends, partying, eating out, eating junk food, drinking alcohol, like, and I had invested in Microsoft and Google and, and Apple or Amazon, like, who knows where I'd be right now? Or if I bought Bitcoin, who knows where I'd be, right? Um, so you have to imagine that these kids on YouTube and TikTok, they're gonna invest money, they're going to buy stocks. Some of them are going to YOLO into crypto and have money to gamble with, and they're going to get uh, massive returns. And guess what? If you're not in the position to do that, and if you're not doing that, why worry about it? Why worry about the fact that somebody doing something that you're not doing is going to continue to benefit from doing that different thing? Wait, so you mean that people who invest money are going to keep making money? And people who don't invest money are going to get keep getting eaten up by inflation. Oh, right. Like, if you want to hear the truth, maybe I'll do a podcast about this one day. Truth about why the rich get richer and the poor get poorer, right? Because I have some opinions about this. Having lived it, mind you. If I kept doing the things I did in my 20s, I would not be successful in my 30s. If I kept doing the things I was doing the same way in my 20s before pivoting in my mid to late 20s, I would end up where a lot of my friends ended up, which was like, eh, you know, I'd end up with an average lifestyle because I was not making above average choices. I did not have above average behaviors outside of a few of them because what was I doing? I was doing the same things as everybody else at that point because why deviate at that point? So... If you, however, instead do not do what the average person does, 
and you do what the above average person does, wait a minute, your circumstances shift to being above average. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, I started making money by investing without additional work because which I wasn't doing when I wasn't investing. Oh, I'm shocked. I'm shocked that doing this thing got a different result than not doing this thing. The rich get richer, the poor get poorer. Do the poor do the same thing as the rich? Yes or no? And the answer is no. The answer is no. Not investing is the single, one of the single biggest differentiators between rich people and poor people is not investing. Okay, well, you can invest when you have disposable capital. It's like, well, how much disposable capital do you need? Yes, someone who can invest more will make more. Sure, that's called math. But if you're not investing at all and you're spending instead, then sure, you're not going to grow because your disposable capital ended up in Netflix, sneakers, clubbing, alcohol, uh, junk food, uh, collectibles, Xbox, whatever it is, the new Xbox, new PlayStation, whatever it is. Instead of buying $500 in Microsoft stock, you found $500 for an Xbox. You found $50 every month for a new Xbox game. So you found $1,000 for the year to buy Microsoft's product instead of becoming a Microsoft shareholder. Right. That's the difference. The difference is spending money on Microsoft versus Microsoft making you money. That's the difference. This is two different types of people we're talking about at that point. At that point, we're talking about two different types of people. So, of course, they have different results. If person A starts doing what person B does, if, if you have two people, even if you have two people and all they have is $1,000 between them and one of them buys the Xbox and a bunch of games and the other one buys Microsoft stocks, in 10 years, the person who bought the Microsoft stocks has a really good chance of that money having increased. It probably doubled two or three times in those 10 years because of Microsoft's growth trajectory. The person who spent $1,000 on the Xbox has an Xbox that's less valuable than when he bought it, games that are less valuable than when they bought it, and it also has the sunk cost of playing those video games, which means they spent time over those 10 years playing video games that they didn't monetize. And so that's the difference. Two completely different outcomes. That's the difference between the outcome of somebody that is leveraged by consumerism, distractions, keeping up with the Joneses, fitting in, versus somebody taking a calculated risk and you know putting money into something that they think has a reasonable chance of producing a return. So um, Andy Japani says, um, like, at what point should you begin to invest? Not financial advice, not giving you financial advice. And as in, how much do you give me with? It's like, these days you can start with any amount of money. These days you can start with 10 or $20. These days you can start with 10 or $20. There are people much more educated than me that can tell you about investing and financing. What I do, what I do, not financial advice, what I do is this. I bet every single day that the rich will get richer. Every single day, I bet that the rich will get richer. And every single day, I bet that technology will eat the world until the day that it destroys us all. And I invest my money accordingly, which means I buy the top market cap companies in the world. I buy software as a service companies and I buy every single company that I've ever spent $1,000 to $10,000 with. 
every company that I've ever spent $1,000 to $10,000 to $10,000 with, I buy the stock. So I buy Adobe, I buy Sony, I buy Google, I buy Apple, I buy Microsoft. Um, you know, uh, it's not even complicated for me at that point. Uh, NVIDIA, AMD, Intel. I buy mostly tech. And other things that I do as consumers, I buy Shopify, I buy Walmart, I buy Amazon because we're, we're, they got my money. All I do is I look at my bank balance. I'm like, what companies ate my money? Oh, that's what I should invest in. Any company that got my money, that's what I should invest in. That's how I do it. I'm not saying that's how you should do it. I'm saying that's how I do it. I look at my own consumer behavior and made it my investor behavior. I looked at my own consumer behavior and I made it my investor behavior. That's all I did. And it worked out pretty well. Continues to work out pretty well. Um, Andy is saying uh, even 1K would be peanuts. Andy, let, let me show you something really weird. Uh, $1,000 and you don't touch it because you invested at age, let's say you invested at age 30, you retire at age 65. You do nothing else. You do nothing else. $1,000 becomes $16,000 at your retirement age. $10,000. Whoops, I did that wrong. Uh, $10,000 doing nothing else but an 8% return if you started at 30 comes 100,000 at retirement age, 10x is at retirement age. 100,000 if you do nothing else, no continued no continued investment. 100,000 you sit from age 30 to 65 when you retire, 1.6. When I realized this by the way, when I realized this, my my mindset changed. But the same way by the way, the same way, by the way, my mindset changed on this the same way when I realized what um, the difference between my job was versus freelancing. And this was why I became a freelancer. And then I became an entrepreneur is like, um, I realized that making $30,000 a year to $40,000 a year was not that special or that difficult for the skills that I had at the time. And I didn't have to, I didn't need 40 hours a week to do it. I realized that for the skills that I had, coding and web design, graphic design, communication skills, salesmanship, email marketing, um, video editing, photography, photo editing, photo manipulation, the ability to spin up and start um, up a server, the ability to do some basic uh, front end web development, SEO, uh, general like marketing, ad management and buying Google AdWords certified. I realized for the skills that I had, I can make 30, 40, $50,000 a year and it would not take me 40 hours a week and sitting in a desk and listening to somebody not as smart as me to accomplish it. I realized that. I realized that in the, like, I realized that working at a company that I was probably solving problems for 30 to 100 um, high paying customers every single month. What if I had 
just 10 customers of my own, how much money could I make through that? Cause like we were charging these people so much money for different things. It's like, so if I was sitting here helping 30 to a hundred customers a month, that means that I'm helping like, uh, like several hundred customers a year. How many customers a year do I need to help to make decent money giving what they'll pay? And, and, and what's the difference between that and my salary? So guess what I did? I did the math. I did the math and I realized, wait a minute. I only need a handful of clients to be financially viable. The work that they want me to do, it's like I'm sitting here, I'm working 40 hours a week. I'm crushing it for multiple clients in a day. And their, their tasks aren't taking, an individual client's task is not taking all day. Um, the stuff that I'm doing in my department is not necessarily, it doesn't necessarily take all day. I was spending hours doing other people's work and picking up their slack for all hands on deck or closing customer tickets because of the other department. So I was like, I did the math. It didn't make any sense. So I was like, I don't need to be here. I can figure out making this same amount of money and it will not take me four hours a week to accomplish the same thing. And if I get a handful of clients, I will be more than fine. And so... And this is when the gig economy was not what it is today, by the way. The gig economy was not what it is today. So I went with that. And I just ended up ultimately being able to write my own future over the last decade as a result. As a result, I ended up being able to write my own future because I did the math and I realized that I could make my own opportunities and I could scale my opportunities over time and I could have more control of my time, my energy, my environment, my circumstances. I just had to be willing to let go of a guaranteed income in exchange for time and have the confidence to follow through on that. N not everyone has that, but not everyone has a reason to have that. I had a reason to have that confidence because I had skill sets that I knew 99% of humans did not have or did not have in combination or did not have to the extent that I did. That's it. And I came by most of that ability for free with content on the old primitive version of the internet. Today, it ain't even close. It ain't even close what you can learn for free today. It's a joke. Like today, making $30,000, $50,000 a year on the internet, not that hard. Not that hard. You don't have to make six figures. You could probably just replace the income you have from your job, plus enough to be able to pay for your own insurance, plus enough to be able to have a little something extra to invest in your retirement without necessarily having to kill yourself 40 hours a week and be beholden to somebody that doesn't respect you. And I keep trying to teach people that that is the case and that they have an opportunity today that they would not have had 10 or 15 years ago. I had that opportunity 10, 15 years ago, but you don't need the level of ability that I had back then to make it today. Like you do not need the level of ability I had back then as a nerd to make it today. And the thing is, the kids today, these kids today are wild and out, and they're making us look kind of dumb on that. You have these kids today that are killing it. And you can't say that they're lucky because it's more and more of them every year. If it's more and more kids every year, they're making it as TikTokers, 
Twitch streamers, YouTubers, entrepreneurs, e-commerce hustlers, if they're all growing in numbers and crushing it year after year after year, how many successes, what percentage of the market before we stop saying it's luck, before we stop saying it's luck? You know, they did a, they did a study um, and last year uh, in 2020, we got to a point where 8.8% of the population in 2020 of America, of America, are millionaires now. 8.8% of the American population are millionaires. There's over 24, there's over like 24 million millionaires in America. By 2025, prediction wise, it could be well over uh, 10 to 12%. At that point, is it luck when it's 10% of the population or pretty close to it? When 10% of the population is doing something, is that just luck? 10% is a pretty significant, I can understand if you said 0.1% uh, of the population. I can understand if you said, like, to some extent, I could almost understand if you said 1% of the population, even though that's not really a good argument for something being luck is 1%. But when it's 10%, that gets, that's a little, that's a little rough to say that that's luck at that point. That's a little rough. That's a little rough. Um, so when you when you when it's that serious when it when it's at that point because now the opportunity is scalable because here's what the truth is on that by the way the truth on that a thousand true fans a thousand true fans does the, what no so nobody in america nobody in america would access to the best social media platforms that have ever existed the best technologies that have ever existed open source software um as far as the eye can see all of this at your disposal even with just a smartphone um, and what you're saying that's impossible for people to get a thousand true fans at some point, even if it takes years, it's impossible for people to get a thousand true fans. Back in my day, everything was impossible. Like, right. Um, malevolent elephant. You said, um, you thought most people don't have, um, one K in savings of the group that is polled. Sure. And savings is not the same thing as net. Well, actually, theoretically, is. so savings is liquid cash. Savings is liquid cash. So that's one aspect of this. Here's the other thing. Um, the like most people not having 1K in savings thing. That's of the people that they decided to poll. And so that's really weird and interesting. Here's the other part of that, though. Here's the other part of that. Having money making money, having net worth is different than having money liquid available to spend. For one thing, most of these people, the 8% of people that are millionaires, 60% of their uh, wealth is in home equity. So it's mostly people, and the median age is 63 years old. So at 63 years old, they're millionaires on paper. I'm not saying that they're rolling around in money or nothing like that. That's not what that looks like. What that looks like is they have a retirement account that they're doing a drawdown on, right? So they're doing a drawdown on their 401k or their Roth IRA or something. They're doing a, a drawdown and they have a lifestyle that's probably, um, if they're married, they probably have a 75, 50, 60, $75,000 a year lifestyle, which is actually really good. And um, their house is paid off. <clears throat> so that's what that looks like is um, most of the people that are in that higher bracket, what it looks like is, They've worked and have been gainfully employed for 20 to 30 years. They have a retirement. 
they have home equity and their mortgage is paid off and largely um, they're dual income and married. They're, they're usually dual income and married. Um, and it's mostly home equity and retirement accounts make up the majority of their net worth. So that's, that's what a lot of that looks like. Um, read The Millionaire Next Door. And you can also look at um, MSNBC's Millennial Money. There's like, um, so that's like, you know, so there's a lot of stuff like that. There's a lot of stuff like that. The, the other thing is we, we need to look at what the future of the creator economy in this sense looks like, right? Like if you're in the creator economy, there's no reason not to take a portion of what you're making and put it back into things that you know um, are going to scale in the creator economy or I industries or companies that support the creator economy, aka Google, for example, right? You already know Apple, Microsoft, you already know how that stuff works. You're using it every day. You might as well. So that's like one aspect of it. And like I said, most of these kids, they're making money on TikTok and YouTube. If you want to talk about, oh, making money without exploiting employees. Yeah. YouTubers and TikTokers. And then, oh yeah, they're going to be millionaires and billionaires. Why? Because they're going to buy stocks and crypto with all of that money that they earned making cute videos in their bedroom. That's what's going to happen. Like that's what's going to happen. That's the future. I, that's you want a prediction for the future. You want a prediction for the future? Um, billionaire YouTubers and TikTokers. That's a prediction for the future. Prediction for the future is billionaire YouTubers and TikTokers. Why? Because they're going to make millions, tens of millions in their twenties, and they're going to invest. Some of them will have their, their parents will make them invest in stocks. Their people will make them invest in stocks. But they're going to make so much money that they're going to have the ability to YOLO into crypto. And some of them are going to YOLO into crypto, and then they're going to make billions because crypto is not going away. It's going to keep scaling. That's another prediction. It's going to keep going. And so they're going to, yeah, some of them will be degenerate gamblers, and some of them got the money to play like that, and some of them will win, and some of them will win, and some of them will lose. But they have the opportunity to play, and they have the opportunity to play young. And because they have the opportunity to play young, they have the opportunity to keep playing and keep playing for high stakes while they're young. So the number of young people, that will have large amounts of disposable income in a culture where young people are investing more and looking at gains and capital gains. And young people are getting into real estate earlier and earlier. Yes, the age of home buyers feels like it's stagnating, but that's among salaried employees and people who earn wages. Young people in entrepreneurship in Gen Z and the younger millennials and then some of the elder millennials like me are getting into home ownership and real estate and Airbnb really early. A lot of my younger contemporaries, they're 10 years younger than me, people under 30. I know people under 30 that have three real estate properties and they bought it with their YouTube money. And they bought it from their YouTube money. I'm 37, I'm now a new homeowner. You don't think that in my 40s that my next play is to do real estate? In my, like these kids that are under 30 are doing real estate from their YouTube money. You think I'm not going to? Like this is, um, a reasonable and practical thing. You have enough cash flowing off of, if you literally are in a position where what you did was in your early enough years, and even if you got older, but like, all right, imagine in your 20s, your teens, your 20s, you got into YouTube, you started making money, you had low overhead, you stayed at home long. And then when you did leave, you got into your own house because YouTube money, right? You got into real estate early in your 20s. So imagine you're somebody like that. 
So in your 20s, you're earning this YouTube money, you're building a reputation, you got these brand deals, you live a frugal lifestyle. And in your 20s, you get into stocks and crypto and your money keeps going up and up because you're in stocks, you're in crypto. Uh, you know, you got into some stuff um, pretty well off and early and you're in your 20s and it's all tech. A lot of it has a lot of potential to go up. Well, all of a sudden, you're making a lot of money. You still have years and years to make money. And you already have long-term lifetime investments in real estate and stocks and you're not even 30 yet. Yeah, you're probably going to end up being a multi, like a multi-millionaire, a multi, or even a billionaire. You probably are if you're literally in your twenties investing hundreds of thousands of dollars in stocks because you live modestly, you make YouTube content, you don't have vices, and you're investing in stocks. You have a retirement account. You're maxing your Roth already as a kid. If you're maxing your Roth as a kid, and you're buying stocks, you put in a little bit into crypto. And you're a, you're a YouTuber, TikToker, and you have the kind of money that lets you, yeah, I'll just go into real estate, and you're cash flowing real estate already, then you're like, you're going to be fine in your 30s. And it's like, for real, it's like going to be really good for you. And then in your 30s, you now have wisdom. You now have wisdom, and you have disposable cash flow. And you already know in your 30s by that point, your future retirement's secure in your 30s by that point if you started in your 20s. So you're at 30 something at that point, and your future is bright. Your future is secure. You have a fully funded retirement already. You already have cash flowing real estate. You have a name and a reputation, and you are then. And deciding, you know what, gee, I'm going to invest in the next generation of this content creator stuff. And you decide you're going to start investing in startups at that point, or you're going to build one. And now you've transitioned and you're a business owner and you are in the startup culture and you're respected. And maybe at that point you brought up other YouTubers and you have equity in the next generation of YouTubers. Maybe you own 10 or 20% of 10 other YouTubers that are on the come up because you mentored them at that point. Uh, because you were successful in your 20s, you're in your 30s now, you're looking at a new phase of life, and then you decided, okay, you're going to help a bunch of content creators, and you've got like 10 or 20 kids that you own 10, 20% of the equity in their business because you have a back end running their company, you still are cash flowing, and you've got real estate, and you've got stocks, and you've got crypto, and you're in your 30s. By the time you're in your 40s, what, like, how do you lose? How do you lose? Do you see what I'm saying? These kids are going to be tremendous. It's going to be ridiculous. And the thing is, if you're not in your 20s, you should still pay attention to this and you still have time. <laughs> you, should still, you should still do it. You still have time. And, you, you know, this is like, this is the real world. It's that younger people... Gen Z especially, because they're, they're true digital natives. Gen Z is true digital natives. They're going to have opportunities that are going to make whatever narrative that people are inflicting themselves with regard to feeling oppressed or like they can't make it. It's going to be a bad joke in 10, 20 years. Mark my words. Mark my words. In 10, 20 years, it's going to be this bad joke. It's going to be a punchline because these kids are going to sit there and they're going to take these smartphones and they're going to make millions. They're going to make millions. They're going to make millions. It's going to be... A really bad joke. It's going to be a really bad punchline because they're going to crush it and they're going to go and they're going to take making even tens of thousands so young and then they're going to invest it and they're going to invest and buy assets in their, in their youth. Whereas in our youth, in our youth, we don't want to admit that in our age, like we don't want to, all of us don't want to admit that between ages 20 and 30, 
that we probably spent tens of thousands of dollars on crap when you add it all up over the course of that. A lot of us don't want to admit that between ages 20 and 30, we probably squandered the down payment of a house on fast food, movies, clubbing, and alcohol. We don't want to admit that. Everybody here, if they had took the money that they spent on soda, vending machines, or beer between the years 2013 and 2020 and had bought Bitcoin or Ethereum, they would be rich right now. That's math. We don't want to admit that the opportunity existed. We weren't aware of the opportunity or we didn't believe in the opportunity or we didn't want to take the risk and we had the capital because we wouldn't have needed a lot of capital for those opportunities. And there it is. And there it is. But we do not want to admit that. We do not. If I go through a lot of people I know and a lot of friends I know, if I go through their gaming console and game collection and I value price all of that. And I said, OK, and then let's look at what you could have invested in over the last five years of accumulating all your video games that would have had a better return. The opportunity existed. The opportunity existed. And they had disposable money. They chose where they put it. It wasn't in gaining an asset. It wasn't in gaining an asset. If I could go back in time, all I would do is buy assets in my 20s. If I can go back in time, all I would do is buy assets. I would live like a monk. I would live like a monk. I wouldn't buy assets, and I would just buy assets. I would live like a monk from ages 20 to 25, and I would just buy assets. That's it. Like, that's the T. Like, that's the, like, so my prediction is that the future Gen Z and everyone that comes after them is going to already, as digital natives, be thinking like this. They will be the most wealth, as much as like, I think, I, don't, I think, I think people are trying to rob them of their riches. Do you, do you know what's going to rob Gen Z of their riches? The rhetoric around anti-capitalism and push for socialism and that kind of thing will rob Gen Z of their riches because Gen Z has the opportunity as I speak right now to be the wealthiest generation of Americans that has ever existed. Gen Z, because every one of you would probably go trade places with them right now. With the knowledge that you have, with the opportunities that are available, with hindsight, every one of you would trade places with a Gen Z right now. Every one of you that's a millennial or a Gen X or a boomer would trade places with Gen Z because the truth is every single one of us knows what to do with that opportunity right now. Every single one of us with the benefit of hindsight knows exactly what to do with where Gen Z is right now. And they can be the wealthiest generation of Americans that's ever lived. Uh, and they can do it ethically all they want. And they could. And all they have to do is pull their head out of the sand, not listen to the noise, and realize that they live in a disproportionate opportunity right now to create value for people in a way that people want with regard to the fact that they can do the gig economy early, they can do the creator economy early, they can do all of these things. They, they, could, they can do that. They can take a little bit of risk, and they can afford to. And, 
as long as they are frugal, as long as they are disciplined, as long as they are mindful, as long as they are thoughtful, it's almost as if they couldn't lose. It's almost as if they couldn't lose. If I was, if I was um, 20 right now, if I was 20 right now, well, let's say I was 18. Let's say I was 18 right now. If I was 18 right now, I'd make a handshake deal with my mom and I'd say, you know what? Um, I'll go to college part time or something or give me a gap year to grow and monetize and make money online or something like that. Give me a gap year. Give me two gap years because college will always be there and college will always take my money because that's the debate. That's the argument I would make. I'd go, look, if you let me stay at home, I don't pay rent, but I save all my money and invest it. All the money I make, save an investment. And I would go, hey, I will do a regular job. I will go out there and I will do a job instead of go to college. I will make money instead of going to debt. I'd make this deal. I'd say, instead of me going into debt to go to college, I will just go out and I will make money. I will make money and go work a job, a nine to five job. And I will go and I will also work on the internet on my dreams. And instead of me paying rent and making someone outside of our family rich, I'm going to save all my money. And I'm going to buy a property that's going to stay in the family. I'm going to make I'm going to make money cuz I'm going to straight up take my money instead of paying rent and not making the family wealthy and making someone else's family wealthy. I'm just going to go ahead and I'm going to make money. I'm going to save up the down payment on a house. I'm going to move out of your house into my own house. That's the deal that I would make at 18 right now if I had the opportunity. I'm not saying y'all should do this, but I'm saying this is what I would do if I was 18 with what I know right now. If I was 18 with what I know right now, I would not go into debt, which by the way, I didn't. I went to community college instead of going into debt. So I'm kind of smart on that. Even 20 years ago, I'm smart on that because I didn't go into debt. So um, I'd go, hey, I'm either going to go to work or I'm going to go to community college, but I'm going to try and grind on the internet and I'm going to make money. I'm not going to go into debt. Oh, I'm going to make money instead of going into debt. Oh, I'm not going to spend my money renting and making somebody else rich. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to pitch in, but like, please don't make me pay rent because what I want to do is I want to leave your house and move into my own. And yes, maybe for three years, five years, I'll look like some embarrassment and I'll be judged and you'll be judged and everything like that. And all of them can eat crap because then when I become a homeowner younger than anybody in the neighborhood or the family has ever done it, then they're going to have something to say. And so that's what I would, in that situation, I would go that route. And I'd go into it like a starter home. And then I would rent out the other rooms, cash flow the other rooms, screw privacy. What are you going to do in what are you going to do in your 20s with privacy? Make lifelong mistakes, make lifelong mistakes, get stuck, get get yourself into problems. Like, what are you going to do? No, rent it out to other people who are serious, entrepreneurial, content creator, whatever, and cash flow the other rooms, screw privacy, basically go down to them paying my mortgage. Great. I have more money now because now every dime I make instead of going into my mortgage because other people are paying for it. Oh, I have the money to buy assets. Stocks and crypto, baby. And so I go that route. Um, invest in myself. Oh, if the internet's working at that point, okay, screw the nine to five job, scale the internet. Oh, more money to invest in what? Assets. Assets. So I go into all the different asset classes and then I cash flow more. Oh, I move out, sell the, uh, rent out the other room, do a duplex or a townhouse, rent out all those rooms, cash flow again. You know, that's what I would do. It's like, because it's really simple. Accumulate assets. That's what I would do. Accumulate 
revenue generating assets and appreciating assets that increase my value and net worth, leverage those to be able to take um, out money and loans and use the money from loans, not for lifestyle inflation, but to accumulate more assets. That's what I would do. That's what I would do. And no one has to do that, by the way. But that's the way I would do it if I was a Gen Z. If I was a Gen Z, I would not go into debt. I would hustle the internet, YouTube, TikTok, Twitch, hustle that, make money. If I have to, as a hedge, go to college, go to community college at least the first two years, don't go into debt, or I'd get the good grades, get a full ride, do the student thing, and then every minute that I'm not keeping my grades up to get the full ride, I'd be making content and making money and using that money to buy and accumulate assets, and my degree would be my backup plan. And my degree would be my backup plan. And instead of lifestyle, flexing, or doing anything, I'd be saving all my money, and I'd be buying a property. And then I'd buy that property, and then I would cash flow the property while living in it by renting out the other rooms and do what's called house hacking. And then I would rinse and repeat, and it would like be living like a monk probably for like five to 10 years, but at 30, it would mean that those 10 years up front would mean that for the rest of my life, I am set for life at that point. And so, yeah, Gen Z can do everything I just said, and they can do it pretty easily at this point. <laughs> like, as long as you have a relatively decent situation, you're not starting off absolutely destroyed. Yeah, that's probably a reasonable way to go like that's probably a reasonable way to go so i don't know at this point i just think we should be grateful for the time that we live in i think we should be grateful for the time we live in we should really just recognize that the the path to success much like the path to washboard abs is really simple, but that doesn't mean it's easy. It just means that it's simple, it's easy to know, it's easy to understand, and difficult to do consistently. Uh, like washboard abs, you know, having a diesel physique, having that Greek statue body. Oh, it's not complicated. There's no secrets. It's just really hard to be consistent at it. That's it. It's really hard to be consistent. It's really hard to be consistent. That's that's all it is. I mean, me, it, it was that this idea that I just gave you, I didn't know to do it in my 20s. I basically kind of did a variation of it in my 30s. And a variation of it in my 30s. I didn't know any better. I did the regular plan, more or less, except for one thing I did that was really, 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 really smart. No student loan debt. But you realize for 10 years, I'd eat crap for going to community college. For years, I'd eat crap for going to community college. Now I'm applauded on stages because people have crippling student loan debt, and I didn't. And the advantages that not having to pay down crippling student loan debt gave me to be able to invest and also to be in a position to be a homeowner. Um, and so the, at 37. So like those things and having aspects of my life together, I had to eat crap for years for leaving a nine to five job. I had to eat crap for years for deciding to do YouTube. 
until it was successful until it was successful until it was successful and until i like got my picture in the paper everyone gave me crap <laughs> mumo says thanks for always sharing your thought provoking message no absolutely i appreciate it thank you for the super chat uh we're gonna go ahead and wrap up because like we went super super over on uh, this episode of the podcast but yeah i i mean i just think that the future looks bright y'all 2022 looks bright and it's less than a day away now and yeah melly um you and i are both uh community college dropouts you and i are community college dropouts so we got that in common yeah but um yeah i took i took crap for years for doing youtube i took crap for years for leaving a nine-to-five job to be an entrepreneur and do a freelance gig um i took crap for years for going to community college um people spent almost 10 years waiting for their shoe to drop on me. And here I am. Yep. So, yeah, there's, you know, there's just so much opportunity today that didn't exist, you know, just a few years ago, just a few years ago. And right now, there are a lot of people that are clowning people today that in 10 years will be embarrassed uh, because um, maybe it's some of you. Maybe it's some of you. Maybe some of you are going to be a success story 10 years from now. And everybody who dunked on you and clowned you will probably be embarrassed. They'll probably be embarrassed. You know? I remember conversations that I had with people 15, 20 years ago that have come to pass now, that have come to pass now. So, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, as they say. Um, and Gabe, it's like for some people dropping out is the move. I'm not glorifying. I'm not trying to glorify dropping out. What I am, I'm against debt. The big thing is I'm against debt. But I'm also against people spending their lives doing something that's not right for them. That's not right for them. And the problem is too many people were marketed college as if it's right for them. Now, here's the thing I will say. I would say that today, I'm one of the only people who ever admit this. Entrepreneurship may be marketed to too many people, theoretically. But I think that it's more reasonable. But here's the thing. Entrepreneurship is not a guarantee of being straddled with debt. College basically is. So while a lot of skeptics or a lot of people say fake guru this, fake guru that will say that entrepreneurship isn't for everybody and it's marketed to everyone as if they can all make it, so is college. And the difference is this. Entrepreneurship won't necessarily leave you in crippling debt. College has been proven that it almost, in def- it almost certainly will. College will almost certainly leave you with decades of debt. Entrepreneurship actually has a chance of not doing that and it's actually fairly simple to pivot when it comes to entrepreneurship without a massive penalty college is not that because of the predatory student loans that the government didn't properly manage and they inflated the cost as a result of their involvement altogether impetus uh, i have no idea when it comes to investing in africa i have no idea because you'll have a completely different legal system and i'm not qualified to give financial advice so no i cannot answer that any questions about that 
Yeah, so debt? No, 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 no. Like, you are guaranteed debt. If you do not get a full, if you don't get a scholarship, you don't get grants, you don't get all the student aid, you're guaranteed debt. You're guaranteed debt. Most people, it's debt that lasts for a lifetime in this country. We have a trillion dollars. We have a trillion dollars in student loan debt. We don't have a trillion dollars in unpaid debts from failed entrepreneurs. We do not. We do not have a trillion dollars in unpaid debts from entrepreneurs. We don't have a trillion dollar problem with fake gurus on the internet. We don't. We have a trillion dollars of college student loan debt, and we have a massive underemployment problem. But we don't have measurable problems that even come close to that scale. They're a result of people trying and failing when it comes to entrepreneurship online. Leagues apart, leagues apart. I'd rather you try to do entrepreneurship or YouTube and see if you like it and risk failing. The most you could go into debt on that is maybe a couple of grand on camera gear that you can actually resell. You can't resell anything invested into your college education. Not really. So you go into YouTube. Oh, you bought a bunch of camera gear and lights. You can resell that and you can recoup your money and you can get eight out of your out of ten of dollars back on most of it. Right. So what do you have to risk or lose there? You try to start an online business. What are you going to do? You, you can always sell the laptop. You can always sell this stuff. Like, I mean, there's and the thing is, you stand to make money and you stand to make money at some point within a much more reasonable time than you'll be profitable on your college education. Because even if you start making money after college, it's not your money. You're in debt. You're in debt. It's not your money. You don't go profitable on your college education until what, 15, 20 years after the fact? You don't go profitable on your college education until 15, 20 years after you graduated. Maybe 10 if you're fortunate in terms of zeroing out the debt if you did not get your education debt free. The exception is people get their education debt free. You want to talk about outliers of success? What do you think there are less of? There's probably less people who get a free education on merit than become successful entrepreneurs, than become successful YouTubers, than become successful uh, influencers or content creators. I bet you, I bet you we can find that data. I bet you we can find that data. So again, my prediction is that if they don't let the media manipulate them and rob them of their riches, that Gen Z will be one of the wealthiest generations of Americans that has ever lived. I promise you that because the opportunity that they have is so unprecedented. I'm not sure they know how to begin to be, and this is no offense to anybody. I'm not sure they know how to begin to be fully, fully grateful of the opportunity because there are too many people who have failed projecting their failures onto them and robbing them of any confidence, any optimism, or any potential gratitude they could have for the era that they live in. It's probably more than anything. It's probably my generation. It's probably bitter people from my generation that are making them think they don't have a shot to be very real with you, to be very real with you, to be very real with you. I think that um, my generation of elder millennials might be to blame for discouraging Gen Z kids from realizing how good they could have it and the opportunities that they could have. Um, I think it's a lot bitter broken um, elder millennials who went through the great recession and are now going through the great resignation, projecting their past onto Gen Z's future. And it's unfortunate. And the worst part is I think Gen Z's got to fall for it. 
whereas they have unlimited potential and unprecedented opportunity. And they're a generation that's more socially conscious than any other generation in decades. So the thing is, they have the ability to have their success and to be able to do it ethically. Oh, I agree, DeBarros, that Gen Z is distracted by anti-work and politics and the pandemic. It's unfortunate. It's a shame. Yeah, it's a it's a real shame. It's a crying shame because um, I, I just think that um, I think that anyone that recognizes the opportunities that exist and, that's, and takes advantage of the technology of their time has a real shot. I think anyone who does that has a real, real shot. And I think the future will be very bright for anybody that truly, truly acknowledges with gratitude where we are in this time as human beings and what this all means and could mean for us and works with what they have, where they are right now, and tries to expand on what they know and tries to expand on what they know. Because the biggest disproportionate gap in terms of resources is knowledge. The biggest gap that determines your outcome and success is not necessarily the resources. It's like, because I'll tell you what, someone who has 10 times or 100 times the capital than me will lose to me if I have two times the knowledge. Someone has 10 times, 100 times the capital, and I have two to five times the knowledge, I will win and they will lose on a long enough timeline because a fool and their money are soon parted. A fool and their money are still parted. You can have all the resources in the world, but if you are ignorant and somebody knows something you don't know, you're vulnerable. That money will end up in their pockets. You will end up being a resource to them. That's what happens. By the way, that's what happens to the lottery winners. That's what happens to the lottery winners. What you don't know will hurt you. It's guaranteed. What you don't know will be the thing that hurts you the most. The most. Real talk. Real talk. And that gap, that gap is the real danger you could end up with a lot of resources. You can end up with a lot of money. But if you don't know how to safeguard it, if you don't know how to grow it, if you don't know how to manage it, you're vulnerable to everyone who knows how to extract money from people who have it. You are vulnerable. Just because you have money doesn't make you safe. You are vulnerable to everyone who knows how to extract money. And so if you don't have the knowledge to protect yourself, if you don't have the knowledge of the mental self-defense necessary, that money is not going to help you very long. It's going to, those people will help themselves to your money. And this happens to people all the time when they come into money without coming into the knowledge and wisdom of how to wield it happens all the time. So a lot of people think that, oh, the distribution of resources is the issue. It's the distribution of knowledge that's the issue. 
and people refuse to believe that it's true. People refuse to believe that the biggest vulnerability that they have is their that they are their specific knowledge that has been kept to them, sorry, kept from them, or that they have not bothered to tap into that was readily available. We are destroyed for a lack of knowledge every single time, without question, without mercy. And my hope, my desperate hope, is that some of my content, some of my nuggets, some of my lived experience serves as some kind of life raft to the people who are trying to do better. They're trying to do better. But the distribution of knowledge is the real vulnerability. And I say that as someone who lived it, by the way. If I knew a fraction of what I knew right now at 37, when I was 17, it's over. It's over. If I knew what I knew at 37, at 17, I would have what I have at 37 at 27. You see what I'm saying? Like, lived experience... Lived experience truly matters. Lived experience truly matters. And turning your experience and that knowledge into wisdom and having the maturity um, and the humility to accept your limitations or what you don't know and and what other people have that is valuable that you didn't understand. Like, it matters so much. It matters so much, but people are distracted by relativism and pettiness and envy and internalizing their hurts and they're not doing the work that is required to build yourself in order to truly bring out your full potential. And it really just comes down to the fact that people don't know any better and they're not taught to do better. And it's my belief that when people know better, they can do better. Which is why, I mean, you, you, I mean, there's so many things I could have done. But what I decided to do was to become as much of an educator and mentor as I'm able to. Because this is the thing that would have mattered to me. This is what would have mattered to me. So that's what I'm putting out. And it won't be for everybody. I'd make, I'd, look, I'd make more money probably and I'd probably be more successful and I'd be mad famous if I just decided to be a Star Wars YouTuber, which I could easily, like, I have such an encyclopedic knowledge of Star Wars and I can, in fact, do the voice of Emperor Palpatine very well. Uh, so, I mean, I could have just been a successful entertainer on some level if I just leaned into something I'm passionate about like Star Wars or anime like some of my friends did um here on youtube uh and that would yeah that'd get you millions of subscribers and a lot of money and but the thing that i felt would be most meaningful would be to provide the mentor that i was never able to have and it did take me a while to get to that place but that's ultimately what i think is the best contribution that i can make and so that's where I think I'm going to end it here. This ended up going long. I thought this was going to be a shorter episode of the podcast. This ended up getting really deep. So, but thank you for all the viewers and listeners out there. We will catch you next time. Stay awesome and welcome to 2022. 
Let's hope it is a hell of a ride and that's a better season this episode than the 2021 was. All right. Stay awesome. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Create Something Awesome Today podcast. Hungry for more creative and practical ideas? Why not visit createsomethingawesometoday.com and access all resources and links mentioned in today's show, as well as special bonus content that Roberto regularly crafts for you. Now, go create something awesome today. createsomethingawesometoday.com.